0: This is Patrick Chapin, and you're listening to Yo! MTG Taps.
1: This brother told me a secret on how to get more chicks. Put a little Medina in your glass and the girls will come real
2: everybody, welcome to episode 14 of Yo! MTG Taps. I'm here I'm with, with Joe, Big Head Joe. Who, Hi, I'm Big Head Joe. I can't he, stop laughing. And he waved at the iPod. Again. I
3: do, I wave, I nod at you all the time while we're recording. Have you ever noticed that? I guess I didn't pick like, up on it. Like, you'll, you'll say something and I'll go, like this, <laughs> a silent nods, like anyone can
2: actually... like. You should try audible nods. <laughs> How the hell does that work? I don't know, we can ask our guest uh, our guest host with us today, Lloyd Frias. Uh, yeah. Maryland State Champion yeah, I, knew yeah. it, I knew that would make him uh,
4: No, basically <laughs> you're, since you've started talking, I think this has been my pers- my post since of yeah For Well those of you since this is not a video podcast, let's just put it this way. Facepalm regarding most of
3: what Joe's been
2: saying. <laughs> and I've been that way since basically he started talking. So, uh, well, we, we had a, a couple of things we wanted to get into before we get into our main topic, which some of you may already know, but we'll get, we'll get there. Um, yeah, but, First of all, the intro music for uh, today's podcast is
3: a special shout-out to our homeboy, Funky J Medina, John Medina, a.k.a. MTG Metagame. You can check his blog out on mtgmetagame.com. He hooked me up for my birthday. I put out a thing a couple weeks ago saying send me bestial menaces and wolf tokens. Well, John kind of upped the ante a little bit on that one. He uh, sent me a stack of, I didn't even count them, must be about 50 wolf tokens. Ten of which are Japanese. Um, Then he sent me ten full art Zendikar forests, also Japanese. He sent me... So awesome. So awesome. I'm running them in my green-white deck. Like, 14 bestial Menaces. And then he sent me a note. Were any I... of those Japanese? Uh, no. Okay, just kidding. Um, yeah, uh, the, you know. Okay. So, so here's the note. Hey, BHJ, I hope your birthday was rockin'. I figured that the jungle homies and all the wolves needed some badass jungle planeswalkers to go with them. So he sent me two Wild Wildspeakers. I also threw a stupid demon card in. This card really sucks. When it's in play, you can't win the game. How lame is that? Sorry for the delay. Enjoy the gifts. Jay Medina. Pretty awesome. So he sent me an Abyssal Persecutor in the mail. And uh, I was completely shocked and, uh, and so overjoyed with this present. Because it was just cool. I mean, like, it's always cool to get... I mean, like, I was expecting wolf tokens. I was expecting bestial menaces. That's just my, like, silly, obsessive... Like collection crap, and right. then like he threw this awesome stuff in that I wasn't even expecting. So, John, thank you so much for that. That was really cool, and that intro so cool, yeah, too cool. And that intro music was for you this week. Um, so, so uh,
2: also I wanted to mention um, I got a message the other day from Patrick Chapin. He um, he requested, and, and of course he didn't really need to request because I would have done this anyway. But um, the expanded uh yeah the expanded edition of his book next Level Magic will be on sale march twenty second which is two weeks from yesterday cool right? um monday march twenty second um the price is to be announced, but keep an eye on star city games for more information um i believe this is the first full color magic strategy guide at least that's that's what uh what he was saying he thinks it is and, and that sounds right to me I, oh, oh wow, wow it 's full color, yeah, yeah, so it sounds like it 's really impressive, so even if you 've already bought the uh, the ebook there 's plenty more information i mean he's I think the ebook was like two hundred and some pages, this is like four hundred and twenty pages, so there 's obviously plenty more content. Uh, this is a physical book that you can take with you to the beach and you don't have to print it out and put it in a binder like I did. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, but you can get a Kindle,
2: right? Like, you oh, know, yeah, the E-box, That's right. right? Yeah. That sounds like an economical way of doing it. I'll just buy a Kindle to read Next Level Magic. <laughs> I think that works out. I mean, you had it that way. But didn't he also mention that there was like
4: some kind of price break for those who bought it previously, the e-book version?
2: Exactly. Yeah, he, he told me there will be a, a discount for anybody who already purchased the e-book, so, uh, which I think is, is awesome. I I don't really care how much it is. I'm definitely buying it, um, even though I do have the
3: e-book. I, I, well... Since the price hasn't been announced yet, and this could be listened to before they decide on a final price, <laughs> I won't buy it if it's more than thirty five dollars. Okay. <laughs> what if it's
2: thirty six dollars?
3: I'll do some purse snatching to pick up that extra dollar.
2: So uh, we um, we got an email. I'm trying to remember who it was from. Do you remember? We got an email from Chris, Chris um, from
3: from uh, from Minnesota, who, uh, who was one of our voicemail callers. That's right, that's right. Here's the. I'll just read the email real quick. Hey, this is Chris that called in a few weeks ago, just listened to the show, and Jund winning again got me thinking. I signed the petition to ban Bloodbraid Elf, and I hate it very much. But maybe there needs to be a per- petition to reprint Paladin and Vec, or a card similar. Fairies had all sorts of hosers printed for it, but Jund has yet to see any. Paladin and Vec would go a long way towards fighting the Jund menace. Also, you had a discussion about playmats. I thought I would direct you to my friend's website, www.customgamemats.com. He will make you your own playmat with anything you want on it, completely hand-drawn. It would be really awesome if you could pimp his site. I have the force of will, Matt. by the way. Thanks for the show, Chris. So, I went to Custom Game Mats and checked out some of these game mats. And they are pretty damn awesome. Yeah, Um, it's
2: some really... uh...
3: They're like all hand-drawn art. Um, One here, he's got... Is that That's blood gas, right? Yeah, there's
2: Thoughtseize, Bloodgast, uh, the new art from Demonic Tutor, from the Divine versus Demonic. Force of Will. Uh, what is that? Tendrils of Agony? Yeah, that's Tendrils of Agony. <coughs> Vencer. Vencer uh, Etheria. What is it? Uh, adjudicator. A- sort of adjudicator. Garrick sort of Adjudicator, that's right.
3: Garrick chillin' with uh, was, Hound of Con- uh,
2: Yeah, Isamaru Hound of Kama.
4: Con- yeah. Uh, that's pretty Oh,
2: awesome. yeah, that is Garrick. For some reason, I thought it was Master of the Wild Hunt. Yeah, he does kind of look like Master of the Wild Hunt, and now that you mention it. But, uh but yeah, um, this thing. Wait, is Bitter Blossom? Oh yeah, Bitter Blossom. Yeah. Um, Sower of Temptation. Uh, Chroma, Angel of Wrath. Angel of Wrath with uh, Angel,
0: Angel Fury, of Fury. Or isn't it an Angel of Despair? Despair.
4: Well, well, oh, yeah. oh no. and Joe's favorite card of all time. Right, Psychatog. Oh, yeah. I have a ripped up one in my binder.
2: Maloku. Um, this one looks like uh, it's a comic book one. It's Captain America. And oh yeah. Uh, Iron Man and I is that like I forget the guy is it I want to say that's Nova Nova that's what I was gonna say yeah, that's Nova. I thought that's who it was Buckethead nicknamed <laughs> this one I love oh, I, it's man. it's actually one of the Dragon Shield playmats um, but it's got like a sketch of Ernam Ernam Jin. de Vision like the new art and uh, Maelstrom Jin Maelstrom Jin from Future Sight which is some of the you know best artwork in the game on there that that one's my favorite one I think even though it's not in color um, it, I think it just for some reason I like that one the best.
3: So anyway, if you want your, uh, play mats done all fancy, uh, he does, uh, these, um, custom game mats, um, for, to get a, uh, a full color one, it's a hundred bucks and seven dollars shipping, uh, for a black and white, it's seventy-five dollars, and if you want... Just want the mat. <laughs> just want the mat to draw on yourself, uh, it's ten bucks. Right, right. So, uh... Definitely cool. We should definitely check him out because uh, he does some really good work.
2: Yeah, customgamemats.com. So, uh, thanks for everyone who requested the stickers. We sent out quite a bit. We sent stickers to uh, the Philippines, Singapore, and the UK. Also Uh, the United States.
3: And also the US of (laughs) A. But, but I I mean, I, I was just kind of like, really? People listen to us that... Don't live in America. That's kind of awesome. It's called the it, interwebs. Yeah, yeah. The, the power of the interwebs. I, I like this so much better than being in a band. I, I don't I, like after after podcasting. Like, I never want to play music ever again. Like, I really don't care anymore. I'm like, you know what? Like, this, this is just as good. This is so much more fun than like. Like, spending, like, two weeks putting flyers up everywhere and then having five people show up to your show for all the effort. There's so little reward for all the effort you put into a band unless you're writing terrible music that little girls like. Um, You know, and that way you get the built-in thing. Or you're fucking hot. Pardon my (laughs) French. But, like, you know, like, um, you know, it's just, like, one of those things where it's, like, there's such a, like, Barrier, and then then you have to deal with all the snobs that like are in other bands, yeah. and then like and, and and it's just it's just this really like clicky exclusive sort of uh, situation, and and playing like I I, I spent twelve hundred dollars last summer or two summers ago pressing a CD. Um, and I've still got like probably 950 of the thousand copies. Oh, my God. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I blew all this money doing this, and then like I, I, I played like two shows and was just like playing in a band sucks. I don't want to do it anymore. Doing a podcast is so much more rewarding because there is such an instant like kind of feedback sort of thing. And plus, like the Magic community is like so much more connected on Twitter and, like, oh, and different things like that. Like like I can I can post up a, a, a deck list and get like instant feedback about it, mm-hmm. and it's just like like, in addition to doing the podcast. Like, the podcast kind of helps me fuel my Twitter addiction, and my Twitter addiction helps us f- fuel yeah. podcasts. It's like every tweet
2: is a flyer for your show. Almost. <laughs> well, yeah, like, right, it, it is, is. if you're thinking about it, because you're
3: using the
4: screen of, like, yo, MTG taps. All right. I, mean, I think you're kind of giving out some flyers <laughs> while you're
3: tweeting there. Yeah, but, I mean, then the stickers help. I mean, the stickers, <laughs> the stickers are cool. I, I really like having stick. I mean, like, but, like the thing with the stickers is, like, you know, I used to play in bands, and this movie got me thinking about it. I used to play in bands, and I'd get, like, stickers, and I'd be, like, trying to hand them out on the street. And it was just like, what am I doing? Like, wh- where do you go with this? Well, let's go with a couple other things. And plus, we don't have to convince anyone to spend any money to uh, listen to us either.
4: And I think that's, that's usually helpful, that's, too. Well, see, that's the other part, too. I mean, your cost, your startup cost is really low compared to a band. Right. Um, there is no cost slash barrier to entry to get involved with your podcast as in listen to it versus I have to buy your CD or iTunes something.
3: Right, right. And I like that too, because I don't like, I don't like everything as being this big ruse to like convince someone to buy something, you know? I mean, like, I don't know. I think it's just cool because it's not like, you know, there's not some, it's not some grand scheme to like, Eventually, get people to purchase things from us. Although, if we have shirts, people will want them by the time they come out. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, we that. won't have to convince people to buy them well, because people fair. will want those things. Exactly. You know, we've had, we've had people ask us for play mats, for shirts, yeah, spaces, for, you for deck sli- or for card sleeves. Um, you know, like we've had people ask for this stuff. We just, I mean, we just, uh, I mean, like, we're not, we're not like trying to have those kind of resources yet. Somebody asked me the other day, like. How do I support you guys? And I'm like, support um, us. Uh, listen to the podcast, I guess. <laughs> I'm like, we're not going to like open up a PayPal account uh, and turn this enough, into a Jerry Lewis telethon, you know? Like,
0: <laughs>
3: if you don't send us money, the podcast will be canceled. Well, that's you know, that's kind of what happened with the magic sock. Um, I, I, I felt like after a while, he was like, I started up this thing for donations, and then like he got real upset when like nobody donated him money um so that was a hell of a tangent that was fun yeah, though that was a good was. one we'll be back with uh more stuff in our actual topic <laughs> so real quick before we actually hop into another subject i just wanted to, just to say on the podcast that the uh, podcasting is awesome uh, uh, well to that uh, <laughs> D- uh david um who plays the spiral david Nizmo, yeah yeah um he had a box of, like, old cards with him, and I was digging through them, just looking at stuff, and I found what I think is the most dirtiest card name in the history of magic. Power Taint? Power Taint. Power Taint is hilarious. I I, I couldn't believe that. I was like, really? Power Taint? Like, it's just like... <laughs> like, I don't know, like... <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah, but anyway... Uh, um,
2: uh, uh, if anybody... You didn't like, get to this, but... Sorry. <laughs> If anybody wants stickers, just email us at yomtgtaps at gmail.com. you got to send us your mailing address, though. I had some people be like, yes, I want stickers. <laughs> like, okay. We'll digitally send them. <laughs> we'll digitally transfer them to you through the Internet, too. Well, actually,
3: you probably could do that if you think about it. Well, I mean, send if they them had them a If sticker, printer, paper. Oh, come on. How hard is it to
1: get
4: that stuff out of, like, Home Depot and crap?
3: Yeah, but it's easier to just, I mean, like, it's cooler to get them already made. Yeah, well, I'm not disagreeing with that. Final to- stickers. I'm totally not disagreeing with that, but I'm saying
2: theoretically you could do it. Yeah, theoretically. Sales so, best market thing. Yeah, it's your gratification. Fine. Saves your postage. <laughs> All right, we'll to, I'll print up a logo and say, here you go, print it and stick it, you know, whatever you want to do with it. Um, one other thing, last thing, I think, before we get into our main topic, is uh, you may have uh, you may have heard of Michael Flores? He's got a blog, yep. with flores.com. He's a he's like a well-known deck builder. I mean, I know you don't. He like, makes decks? Yes, exactly. Really? Like um like wooden Has back porches that Oh, <laughs> nice, nice. Oh, so it's like construction. It's like right, exactly, deck construction. Deck construction. He's a, he's a deck construction <laughs> he's a, specialist, he's a deck builder like Bob Vila. So, uh, <laughs> So anyway, uh, but does no, anyone
3: he, actually play? Does it, do people use
2: these decks? I mean, like for like pa- parties and for like <laughs> cookouts. Yes, and, yeah. lovely. Exactly. <laughs> um, he hasn't written a blog post in weeks.
3: He has, to be fair, he has kept up with his weekly daily MTG article.
2: Which is not a blog post. Right. (laughs) I said he hasn't done a blog post in weeks. And people are are hungering for this. But we do have to say they did do uh, some awesome Top 8 Magic podcasts. Yes. And that that was what I was going to suggest. You know, that he mentioned in that podcast an Esper deck that he had designed pre World Wake um, that he thought was the best deck. He said he had the same feeling about that deck as he did about Naya Lightsaber before Worlds. Hmm. But it didn't have any World Wake cards in it, and um, I would love to see that deck. And if he wants to update it for World Wake for his blog, or if he just doesn't want to, that's fine too. I, I, that's, you know, up to him, but I would like to, like to read a blog about that and maybe, you know, take a look at it and try to update it for World Wake myself. Right. Well, he said that... Um his computer's been down
3: and stuff right, like right, that. Right, 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 that's right. But it didn't stop him from writing his, uh, magic article. Right, he,
2: well, he, I think he wrote them out on legal paper and... <laughs> and mailed them in. <laughs> well, anyway,
3: um... Yeah, Mike, it's time for you to whip out your deck and show it to us. Um, because, I mean, we've been waiting with bated breath for a month now. And, uh, I think it's about time. Um... Are you done? It's getting to be that time. <laughs> All right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, so for those of you who have been listening to the recent episodes, we've kind of been teasing this, uh, this episode for a couple weeks now. Um, we were going to talk about the reserved list. Um, it seems to be a hot topic recently. Uh, specifically, it's kind of been brought to, uh, to everyone's attention because of the reprinting of Phyrexia and Negator in the, um, the upcoming Phyrexia vs. the Coalition dual decks. Um, so... Gotcha. I I don't know exactly how you guys want to start it off, but...
4: Well, I think one of the problems that I've come to realize over the last few weeks, and this is something that a little deflates this entire, um, segment and podcast, is that there's two different things right now, that there's reserve list, and then there's the actual reprinting. Discussing one doesn't necessarily mean you're discussing the other, and vice versa, and all that stuff. I think that's a distinction that really hasn't been made in most cases, so...
2: Right, because just because they can reprint something doesn't mean they will. Exactly. And that's a big That's point.
4: one thing that's a little bit uh, <clears throat> confused. So I think um, calling this a reserved list discussion may be a bit of a misnomer. Good Possibly, point. Very yeah. good point. Because I I, think I don't think it's a misnomer. No, there's no possibility. I'm pretty sure this is a misnomer. Yeah, <laughs> I,
2: I think it might be too, because what, you know, my stance on it actually involves... I'm not only for the, the what is it, the uh, abolishment of the reserved list, but I'm actually... I want them actively to reprint these cards, um, and that's my stance on it. And I think the reason we have Lloyd uh, on here is because, you know, partly because he's, he's awesome. He's, yeah, exactly. That's, the, <laughs> that's exactly why. So that's, it. that's what I was going to say. But no, there, one of the reasons we wanted Lloyd on the show is because he's got a, a, a very different opinion, and also he's got a very different um, background in a way because he plays vintage, I don't play vintage. Last time I played vintage was 1995. <laughs> right. Before it was vintage. You know, before right. it was vintage. You know, so I mean, it, it's <clears throat> not a. I, I guess I, you could say 2002 because I did have a, a mono black deck that just put whatever I wanted into it. You know, like dark rituals and things. But anyway, my point was I wasn't. I never have actually played vintage. I've never played Legacy. Um, so, you know, we have some different backgrounds. And we wanted to kind of get some, uh, various opinions and kind of have like a, maybe a, it would be a more active discussion, I think, when we actually have some, uh... Differing opinions some and different, different perspectives, realistically. Perspectives, that's the word I was looking for. Which for. I think is, you know,
3: makes for good radio. Um, exactly. So, first of all, for those of you who don't know, we should just briefly touch on what the reserve list is. That's I a mean, good point. Some huh? of our some of our listeners might not
2: know what it is. Okay, and I actually have a, uh, a highlighted section in here. I have good. the actual reserve list policy here. Okay. Um, so, you want to go ahead, Lloyd? Um... Let's see... Well, first
3: of all, why was the reserve list printed? The reserve list was printed because... Well, let's... Is is it in the
4: policy? No, well, hang on. Let's just go through the whole thing. The reserve... The problem is that when we talk about the reserve list, the reserve list that you were about to speak of was the reserve list back in, like, 96, 95, 96. It was revised in 2002. Okay. So, um, I'll just quote directly from... This is all available on Wizards of the Coast under the reprint policy, Primary to the value of purchasing Magic cards is the concept that each card will maintain a reasonable value over time. Because we're sensitive to this issue and to the ramifications for reprinting cards too soon or too often, we try to make decisions that won't negatively affect card collectability over time and that will enhance the value of cards you purchase. To maintain your confidence in the Magic game as a collectible, we've created this Magic the Gathering card reprint policy. It explains why we reprint cards and lists which cards from past Magic sets will never be reprinted. Section one, why we reprint cards. I'm going to paraphrase uh, two reasons. The cards we reprint make for enjoyable gameplay. And B, all Magic players deserve an opportunity to play with these cards. Any card that isn't on the reserve list may be reprinted. Okay, so here's the reserve list um, section, which is the topic of discussion. The complete list of reserve cards appears at the end of this document. Reserve cards will never be printed again in a functionally identical form. The card is considered functionally identical to another card if it has the same card types, subtypes, abilities, mana cost, power, and toughness. No card will be added to the reserve list in the future. No card from the Myrcanian Mass set and later sets will be reserved. In consideration of past commitments, however, no cards will be removed from this list. The exclusion of any particular card from the reserve list doesn't indicate that there are any plans to reprint that card. Um... It applies to both English and non-English cards, so you're not going to find, you know, lands magically reprinted in German. Right. You won't find your Mangroven soups. Which one is that? That's a Bayou. Oh,
3: nice. I used to have a set of uh, black-bordered German Bayou. <coughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, that's how I know the word is Mangroven soup. <laughs> Just like I know Zusammengeschmolzener Einfluss, uh, which is uh, Molten Influence, um, for example. Yeah. I, have, I have one of those. and I, I
4: just... um, There is a section here, and I think this is where the debate's coming up, or the loophole, as a lot of people call it, is special purpose reprints. All policies described in this document apply only to non-premium tournament legal magic cards. Wizards of the Coast has and may continue to print special versions of cards not meant for regular gameplay, such as oversized cards. Okay, see, that's the part where it gets a little shady, because they can reprint but they're not supposed to be tournament playable. Right. But you see Judge Boyle promo as a survival of the fittest, and Dreadnought, and I think the reason why this, and the whole reason this topic has even come up, Fricks and Negator is a new one. Right. Because it's in a premium foil form, so that's kind of taking advantage of the loophole, but at the same point, it's in the policy. so And I think that's kind of where we're getting this, uh, why this discussion
2: of the reserve list has even come up at all. Uh, another thing, and, and this is, I'm going to say this, uh, kind of ahead of time, a little bit, there have been several articles uh talking about the reserved list in recent weeks um Ben Blyweiss on Star City games wrote a three part article about um kind of like the the price of some cards it, it kind of the main focus is the reserved list, but there 's some other topics thrown in there as well um and also Stephen Menendian on Star City games. Blyweiss was invited along with Stephen Menendian and the other person. They were flown Weezer. out to Wizards
4: of the Coast, not being told why they're being flown out. They, had, they have signed an NDA, Nondisclosure Act, and what, we can, what they can tell us is that the discussion was about the reserve list. They can't give us details of what exactly was going to happen
3: with regards to the reserve list, but there was a discussion about it. Right, and they said, they said specifically that they, they did not... Affect policy right, right. by their attendance at these <laughs> meetings. You know, they just wanted to get, like, they did not personally affect policy, but they wanted to give their opinions, right? And so, so they were able to. Well, they were asked to give their opinions. <laughs> well, right, right,
4: <clears throat> and somewhat um, extemporaneously because they weren't told that. Hey, guys, we're bringing you up to discuss the reserve list. They weren't told that. They just showed up. Hey, picked up, brought
2: to wizards. Here you go. Tell us about the reserve list. Right. So, so it was. Uh, so these articles kind of go over the opinions that they presented to wizards. Um, so Menendian wrote an article, and Blyways wrote three articles, all available in Star City. Um, ben Blyways's articles are free. Menendian's is on the premium side, which you all should have anyway. Um, but will be available within thirty days. That's that, that's true. And what is it, after thirty days? Thirty the days. Are becomes, free? Yeah,
4: thirty days. Premium articles become free.
2: Okay, so there you go. If you want to, if you if you can't afford it at the moment, you know, you can wait. I guess three three more weeks or so. Um, not like this discussion will end in three weeks. That's so. true, that's true. So, 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 so it's it, still going to be relevant. Right, exactly. Um, but I am going to quote some from these articles, mostly from uh, Ben Blyweiss's articles, just because the arguments that they present are um, in line with my own opinions. And, um, and here's just a, a quote about the reserve list. For those of you who aren't familiar with the reserve list, here's a quick rundown. <clears throat> in the wake of Chronicles and 4th edition, there was a lot of collector backlash about the devaluation of magic cards due to reprints. Wizards of the Coast made up a list of cards that they said they would not reprint. And over the years, this list has been shortened, amended, and made to never include cards past Urza's destiny. Um, so that, that supposedly is the reason of the origin of the reserve list was because of people yeah. being upset when... Uh... Let's, give
4: an, let's give a specific <laughs> example. Uh, when Magic first started, the set uh, Legends was in print. Legends packs were going for I think twenty dollars ten a pack. bucks each. Ten? I thought it was twenty for some strange reason. I'm sure it's certain. Well, in the article, $10. it said ten. Okay, let's just say for the sake argument, ten dollars a pack. What's the price of a pack nowadays? Four, four dollars. Mm-hmm. I think packs number were like two fifty, two dollars. Yeah, like, yeah. So MSRP like or something like that. MSRP is like two dollars, two forty nine, and now you got a pack that's going for ten dollars. And this is an in print pack.
3: Right, right. This is before they were even out of print.
4: Right. So that's the first thing that's crazy
3: about. it. I remember buying Packs of the Dark for, like, $7 a pack. Yeah, exactly. I remember that. Well, I mean,
4: that's the inflation of the, uh, the pack right there and everything. Well, there's. let's just use this as an example. In Legends, that's the source of the Elder Dragon Legend cards. Right. Like Nickel Bolas, Chromium, Vivictus <laughs> Ismati, um, all that stuff. What happened is that Chronicles reprinted the, all those cards. And these are singles that were selling for, like, 20 $15, and then I can go to Cro- that summer, I go, Chronicles, look, I got a nickel Bolas, I only spent $2 and look at all the other cool stuff I got and that's how this reprint policy came
2: about so, he, so here it is um, and this is again from Blywise's article he said, uh, the reserve List was originally made when Magic was a fledgling game not only in and of itself, but for an entire industry of collectible card games it was a reaction to 4th edition in Chronicles due to the scarcity and high value of sets like Legends Arabian Nights and Antiquities uh, not so much the dark. In fact, none of the regular sets released post-reserved list have had any of the printing shortages against demand that were seen from sets pre-reserved list. So basically, it's like they uh, the reserved list was almost a response to their shortage, like to these, to these shortages. It's, uh, you know, the reason the cards had these high values from Legends and Things, or part of the reason they had these high values, were because... The packs were so expensive. It was so hard to get these cards because, you know, even the booster packs were, were well, the three boos- times the cost they should have been. Well, that's true, but at the same point, you're also making the argument
4: that if it's a starting game, you're not going to make an excess amount of products. So, I mean, the game just scaled in response to demand. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, it's natural what's going to happen there.
2: Right, well, and that's what, what he's saying, at least the way I understand it. He's saying the reserved list... Was almost entirely unnecessary because anything after, well, I guess anything after Chronicles or that area, that era, uh, had plenty of supply anyway. So there was no reason to put anything after that even on the reserved list, like revised edition and things like that. I mean, it was like Legends, Arabian Mm. Nights, Alpha, Beta, things like that, where they had the limited print runs. Those may have had. But you can more a, reason to be on a reserve list. The other cards were all were becoming more readily available because they printed way more. If you're talking specifically about Chronicles, yes, but I mean, if you're talking about Revised, for example, you
4: could the biggest reason that there is even the discussion of the reserve list is Revised and Unlimited
2: because of the dual lands. Right, for Legacy. That's literally what is fueling this discussion. So and I, I agree the dual lands I think are the most important part of this. Um, but yeah, so what I'm saying is Collectors were upset about the value of the cards dropping because you know these cards were being reprinted. Well, the value of the cards was only there because the cards were scarce. So once you got to sets like Revised... But that's not necessarily the case. Value of cards are
4: driven by two things, not only scarcity, but
2: playability. Exactly.
3: Well, I, 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 I agree. And yeah. I think that has to do a lot with what's going on now, is that Legacy has become such a... Like a hot format, I would say, I mean, in the world of Magic,
4: it's a trendy format, honestly, and that's the pro- that's the reason why it's seeing this boom. You didn't see this boom. What was it, two thousand and four? When I, I mean, this is how I look at it. My perspective is that if you played extended up until the rotation started with Onslaught, dual lands were the only thing allowed from like pre fourth edition. Hmm. So. When the when the rotation started, the dual lands rotated out. Okay, that would have been the perfect time for Legacy to pick up the slack. Before, the, but what happened at the time was Legacy was not really a format. What I mean by that is that Legacy's banned list was, hey guys, let's take the reserve list and the band list from Type One, and that's restricted where we, list. Yeah. The restricted <laughs> list, reserve, you know, the restricted list and the band list from Type One. That's our list. So realistically, you have a format that is a red-headed stepchild of yeah. Type 1. Um, once Legacy was uh, created as its own independent format a couple years ago, that's when it started taking off.
3: And it has, though. But it has but, taken it, off. Exactly. Well, and
4: that's uh, that's the part of the playability issue. I mean, what's the difference between that and say, Vintage? You can make your argument, vintage is more expensive, but you can also argue well, here's the thing that's different from Vintage and, say, and Legacy. This is a, my perspective because you don't have this experience. Vintage right now Everything is a proxy tournament. I can, there is one sanctioned vintage tournament I, can, I, I have the option of going to every year. Vintage Worlds at Gen Con. Hmm. I mean, technically, I could go to the Bazaar of Moxin in France to right. play sanctioned vintage. I think I have a slight um, financial problem with doing that, but I think it would be awesome, and I'd love to do it someday, just I can't do it right now. <laughs> now <laughs> but the thing is, what, that's what I'm getting at, though. If everything is proxy, it means you have access to every
2: card, even if you don't own it. Right, but who wants to play with proxies? I don't want to play with... If I wanted to play with proxies, I don't need to buy any magic cards. I can just take out anything. Any, any yeah, deck of cards and marker on it and play, you know, play whatever card. There's Bane's Angel. Oh, you spelled it wrong. So. But that's part yeah. of the
3: problem with... That's <laughs> vintage. I mean, well, not the problem with vintage, but what happened with vintage, according... And I'm most of my stuff is coming straight from these articles. Right, right. Um, I don't have any personal experience on, on, on what happened in vintage because I wasn't there. But... What I understand from reading these articles is that, you know, vintage had a surge in popularity in the mid-2000s, and then it kind of, like tapered off because the dem-
2: supply couldn't keep up with demand for the cards
3: right and like so so uh, as they said in the article the bubble burst right on it and and people well, you know the, the cost of entry was too high and people lost interest and started you know playing other formats or whatever right. well, and, well that's
4: not the case the case is that if you're you're eliminating the barrier to entry with proxies, this is a solution i'm not agreeing or endorsing it at this point i'm just stating the fact okay they're the bear- If you eliminate, in economics, a barrier to entry is an entry cost to start getting involved in something. So the barrier to entry at Vintage is relatively high, however the trade-off is it's a long-term investment. So if you eliminate the barrier to entry, you open the accessibility to more people. That's the principle behind proxies, right? And that's where we're, that's somewhat creating the scenario that Vintage has today.
3: But most, but most, uh, most proxy tournaments are ten proxy, right? Is that is that is that the standard number? Uh, standard
4: is about ten, and then usually you can purchase extra proxies at an
3: additional cost. Okay. Uh, some it's about ten to fifteen is about the average. Um, but see, so that so that takes care of you know Black Lotus and a few other staples and, and a couple lands. I mean, if, I mean, but the way I look at it is if you want to play, like, a three-color deck, you need, what is that, 12, 12 <laughs> dual lands? Not even. Is it, or is it...
4: Even? No, it's not even, because the thing is, most vintage decks do not run a full set of dual lands. Okay. So you have, like, two to three copies of something like that, and then you have the fetches to cover the... Fetch it up when you need
3: it, as mm, needed. That does make sense. Um, you know, so... But, anyway, my point is, like, you know, so you got ten proxies, you put those ten proxies in, you're still going to need other cards, and, I mean, obviously... You
4: know. but it's, it's still a to your barrier to entry to the format sure no and it definitely reduces it if, greatly if there's say. even the case though that you have the option to buy more proxies your barrier is
2: even lower than that right but, but I, 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 to me like I can't even th- I don't like the idea of using proxies at all to I, it me me with like, you, yeah. I agree with you not using proxies I can
4: tell you for right now that since I started playing vintage um, I have proxied exactly one card. Pithing Needle. Oh,
1: wow. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and, That's funny. Well, I know. I proxied Pithing Needle when it first came out in counter block. How do you think I'm going to get a hold of one when it's awesome in every format it's legal in? Right? right. It's like, here, play $20 a pot for Pithing. And it's like, um, no. <laughs> it's a sideboard card that I need one or
2: two of. I don't plan on blowing 40 bucks for
3: it. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it is
2: pretty funny. Um, but, I mean, as far as barrier to entry, you're right. It, it gets it down for the people who who are, I guess, willing to play with proxies. I mean, I I don't have any interest in playing with proxies. But at the same point, if you can't make an argument that you want to play a format if you've never actually tried to play the format, and this gives you the opportunity to do so, because, no. I mean, I can say I want to play it, just because I've never played it doesn't mean I wouldn't want to play it. Like, you know, a video game, I've never played it. Looks cool, I want to play it. I no. want to play
3: Dead Rising, but I've never played it. Right, right. <laughs> so, I mean... The barrier entry is no, I mean, is like If you are
4: invested enough to want to play it on a level that you are willing to spend money on it, wouldn't you try it before you buy it? Isn't that the
2: idea behind shareware? Not that shareware got off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> shareware, what a success. But, no, I, I understand what you're saying, but to me... I'm, because I I don't want to play with proxies, and I do want to play legacy, uh, legacy is, is the example I'm giving, because that is the format that I'm more interested in, um, but you know, same thing, vintage, um, I want the cards to be more available, I don't want to play with proxies, I don't have the desire to, to play with proxies, or to put in some ridiculous amount of money to, to play the format, um... It's just not something and that's why I've never played legacy or vintage because I don't have the money to do it and I don't want to play with proxies so um
3: well then let's I mean let's move on I think, from uh, yeah from proxies um, and let's I, hmm. well, I think
2: well my original point which I think we went off on a tangent but uh, was just that I think the originally when the what the reserve list was for I think it would have automatically corrected itself had they not made the reserve list because You know, they were making it to appease people who had bought the scarce sets. The sets, you know, the expansions that were very scarce. Collectors. Yes, the collectors who had purchased those cards. At the time, a lot of those cards had their value because they were scarce. Because I had never seen a Nicol Bolas until I saw it in Chronicles. Mm -hmm. I had never seen the Wretched until I saw it in Chronicles. Because those cards were scarce. So they, of course, had value. They had value because nobody, you couldn't find them anywhere. What wizards did was create this reserved list for a problem that was already solving itself for the future sets, for future expansions, was already going to solve itself because they were printing them in much higher quantity and now it was not going to be so rare to see Autumn Willow for example. You know, she was not going to be nearly as rare as Nico Bolus before, you know, had there not been a Chronicles. Um, but you're also assuming the point of if they have
4: a higher print run, that it's actually still available. Because, I mean, let's take a look at an example from recent history. I think there's a high volume of Cold Snap available, a set that did not sell very well. Right. They right. did have a
2: large printing of it, but you're still going to have trouble finding Cold Snap. That's Okay, true. well, I mean, not anywhere near as much trouble as people f- had finding Legends or Arabian Nights, or something, you know? Not mm-hmm. uh, You can find Cold Snap easier than that. Plus...
4: At the same point, though, although every expansion is a limited expansion, they have a set print run on these things.
2: Oh, of course. And I'm not saying that they don't, but I think that they their print run is exponentially higher at this point. And, and starting... I think it's gotten exponentially higher even as the years have gone on because Magic, I think, has gained popularity, so they've probably wanted to print more. I don't know the, the specifics of print run. All I can say for sure and I guess it's not even for sure, but I'm going to assume that we're printing more now, and we're even printing more of sets like Homelands than they printed of Legends and Arabian Nights and Antiquities. I would assume that they printed more Homelands and, and things, because that was when Magic took off, and they realized they wanted supply to meet the demand. So from that point on, there, there was no need for a reserve list, or way less need for a reserve list, because these cards were a lot more available
3: um I think that um you know given Legacy's current popularity Trendy if, if it's I mean, maybe it's trendy maybe it's maybe it's something that's going to stick but the point is right now Legacy is a hot format it's relevant it's it's a definitely that's, a very relevant format it's, it's to the point yeah. where they're uh you know where uh who was it that, that tweeted that the other day? Was that Aaron Forsyth tweeted mm-hmm. about uh, the possibility of making it a pro tour? Yeah. Making a legacy pro tour? Is like, do you feel like we should do a legacy pro tour? Right. You know, um, so it's obviously something that's catching on with, with players.
2: It's currently the number two sanctioned format in Magic ahead of Extended. Well, the reason why it's that is because of the
4: popularity of independent tournaments. I mean, you look right. at... Star City Games—they are holding a legacy event back to back with each standard event. Of course, it's the most popular, right? Because you have more opportunities to play it. Exactly. But I mean, the same thing goes. Extended could be that way if they put more more tournaments for extended. Like honestly, um, prior to the PTQ season this past January,
2: I don't think there was an extended tournament since I moved back to Maryland in the fall. Right. Uh, and and that's a good point I mean but that's and that's all what it is that's what makes it relevant it's really the tournament organizers deciding what they wanted to to put out but right now standard but if you're if that's the point
4: then you're saying that basically that the popularity of the format is inflated because of tournament organizers yep
2: Yeah. Well, 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 then they could they
4: could shift it. They can shift it then to whatever they want. Well, maybe that's partly true, right? Which is what what they're they're doing, doing. and which is why there is an increase in price.
3: Sure. Well, Mm -hmm. well, and that's true. But the point is, now there is an
2: increase in price, and 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 as a
4: result of an outside source and interference to some extent, from one
3: perspective, right?
2: But But also, you have to take a look at if this format wasn't popular, then they wouldn't be drawing anybody to it,
3: right? If people didn't like like people will only come. It's a cycle here because
4: you could say that. I wouldn't hold more tournaments if it weren't popular. However, it is popular because I'm holding more tournaments. Right. See, it, they definitely affect It's a tel- it's a circular argument
3: there. That's right. the, that's the discussion we're going to have. But it's only gotten more popular. It hasn't it hasn't it hasn't decreased. Like people haven't gotten sick of it. Like they're not like okay, enough with the legacy already. Right. I want to play more standard. People are actually well, showing no, up that, in Well, no, I throws. think it,
4: I think that's part of the reason, part of the reasons a lot of people hate mm-hmm. standard at the moment. Right.
2: So that, that they're going insane. to other formats. Right, and that, the fact that we have these other formats is one of the greatest things about this game, that we have these other options. But when the options have such cost you know, barriers to entry, it's like almost like we don't have those options. Like I, Right now, I've never been interested in Legacy because of the cost, Legacy or Vintage. It's because I feel like those cards, I'd have to go out and acquire them, and they, a lot of them are more expensive than what I can pull out of a pack or you know, buying a box... In standard, You know, for the standard sets, the in-print sets. But, but I'm sorry, but I, Go ahead. my point is that only recently because I'm now reading more articles about Legacy and seeing more coverage of Legacy, I'm like, I, I want to play Legacy. I want to play with Force of Will. Last time I touched a Force of Will, I don't know when it was, probably in a pack, and I thought, what kind of crappy card is this? You know, and put it in my binder or had it in a box and somebody went, hey, you trade this? I'm like, sure, give me your, you know, lightning bolt or something. You know, like I probably traded it for something terrible if I ever touched one. You know, right. that's what I'm saying. And here, like, I want to play with Force of Will. Force of Will's not even that expensive. But, you know, that's an example. If, if I'm going to play in a format where Force of Will is legal, there's a whole set of cards that I'm going to need surrounding it. Um, you know, Dual Lands being the, the, probably the highest, uh, the biggest culprit. But anyway, I'm saying there is, I'm more interested in Legacy now because there are tournaments, even if I were to never go and play in one of those tournaments. I I now I have an interest in playing Legacy. I want to play with Duel lands. I haven't played with Duel lands in ten years. You know I haven't, you know, played with a lot of these cards because I didn't I wasn't aware of their power when I was playing in the nineties, and or or just never had them had access to them at all. Right. So
3: so 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 what has to be done? I mean, like, so w- what do you do to um, to to make the format? More accessible to to players who want to get into it. So, so I mean, like, what do you do? I mean, like, do you? I mean, like, do you reprint certain cards? I mean, like, well,
4: at the same point, didn't you? Didn't we say that the market corrects itself? So, wouldn't the best answer be do nothing? Well, no, the market correcting itself, I think, had to do with in general, markets correct themselves. That's economic theory based off the enterprise of Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations.
2: I don't know. I mean. They're going to correct itself just like Vintage corrected itself. Where, exactly. Right, where, that's what I'm saying. So it, you, can't, you can't even play it. It's not really an option unless you want to spend a whole lot of money. So it corrects itself in that, yes, it becomes less popular because people can't play it. So if you want to consider that correcting itself...
3: I don't think that correcting the format is making it harder to enter and making, and, and therefore drawing more players away okay. from it.
4: Right, let's go through a couple of things here. The format growing implies that it needs more cards. That need more cards that need to be available. However, that's the that's the current state of affairs. The format, it, however, you got to look from the perspective. If there's that many people getting in already, the format itself is already healthy. The that fact is, that it's is, keep that growing. Is that a very valid point. The yeah. fact that it keeps growing independent of any independent action shows that the format is healthy. Right, but
2: it's going to stop at some point. That's the problem. Right. That's that, the it, that's the it, nature. It's going to hit the though. ceiling. Right. But here, but it's going to hit the ceiling, leaving players such as myself just unable to play it. So it could be, it could continue growing.
3: But that growth will stop and will eventually start to shrink. And I don't think that that's what they which, want for the long-term health of the game. Right? Which,
4: at some point, you could say, okay, there are pe- the people that got out of the format are the people that we're not really interested in to begin with. Because if you love a format, regardless of popularity or not you will do the
2: steps to get involved in it right but all it, on their end they just need to see the money once they don't need your money whether you're going to be playing you know if you buy you know these cards from them mm-hmm. they have your money whether you take the cards and stick them on your wall or you put them in a deck or, or whatever they've gotten that now of course they want to keep you involved in it but that's why they print new cards every you know three months to keep you involved in the game Right. But you gotta factor in that
4: the new cards being printed, that focus is more for standard as opposed to other formats.
2: That's true. Yeah. So but that was, I mean so that's what I'm saying, like once they've purchased once somebody's purchased their vintage and legacy cards, reprints, whatever they happen to be. Which is how some people justify the
4: barrier to entry because you factor in a higher barrier to entry for an older format. I'm just speaking generally not specifically <laughs> legacy or vintage, that is offset by not needing to cycle cards a la standard. Right. Now, that is an attraction to me. And sure. the other thing too is that you're looking at it solely from a financial perspective of a barrier to entry. The problem is there are other barriers to entry if you think about it, because they're different formats. Mm-hmm. Like, if I lent you, if I let's say let's say hypothetically here, Joe, I probably have all the cards for you would probably need for Legacy. Mm-hmm. If I were to loan you all my cards for you to go to Star City Games 5K.
2: In Indianapolis this weekend? Would you do it? Uh, probably not because I didn't plan on that. But no, like, no I was just that, saying, like, that aside. That okay. aside, would you do? So, it? I mean, what do you? Would I do it? Would you go and we'll play? I don't think I would play. Like that's what I'm saying, what are you taking? What are you saying? I, I can't go and play because I just don't. had not planned it. I don't. It, it's not something I've planned. But would I? If you if maybe in a couple months? If, if I there was can, one okay. closer, let's, is that you, okay. You know, let's
4: go. Let's fast forward. Fall this coming year, there is going to be a Star City Games event here in Baltimore. <laughs> there is a Legacy event. I am probably not playing in that Legacy event.
2: I'm not, if I felt like... I, if I had fun playing the deck or the format, you know... If I yeah, had a deck that I had fun playing... How would you know... That's the thing. How would you know
4: that you would have fun playing it if you have not played it before? Exactly. And if so you, I would... Well, right, I mean, right. you're going to... You're, see, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the problem I have with your statement. Okay. Your judgment about whether you're going to tennis, if I had fun playing the deck and that's how I'm going to base my opinion on whether I'm going to attend. But I can't make an opinion until I attend, so you're you have saying, a circular uh, argument there. No, no, uh, you're saying as, as my first ever time playing Legacy? I'm just saying Legacy like, in general. I mean, I know people that hold Legacy tournaments. I mean, it, this is a plug a little bit, too. Monday nights at Legends, we have a Legacy vintage group that playtests. We have people that bring extra decks so people can get into the format hmm. to experience it and understand this. But that's the thing. You have to have that experience to know that you want to get in the format first, as opposed to just having the options available to you.
2: Right, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like I, I guess, sure, I could go up to Legends and borrow a deck from somebody. That's not attractive to me. That's just a hair more attractive than playing with proxies because it's not my cards. There's something about something visceral about owning and having my own cards and my own decks, I mean, that's why, that's just the kind of player I am. I know that a lot of players aren't like me. But sentimental, they, especially,
4: especially, sentimental value aside, I understand that completely because that's the same reason I don't proxy anything in vintage. Right. But I've been to vintage tournaments where a mox is the prize. You know what I've seen happen? The winner wants to split cash. Right. Hmm. Right, so, so and, and that's... That's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's, oh, the, that's, a, real, that's a personal cho- choice. But what I'm saying about to entries that are non-monetary is that Let's go with a couple things. Do you know the deck? No, that's a barrier to entry. Do you know what the other what other decks are in the format? No, that's a barrier to entry. There are barriers to entry aside from money, aside completely, and just focusing on reprints and everything, that's only a money thing. But there are other reasons one does not get into any format they just happen to like say hey, I'm gonna go play
1: this.
3: Right, but it's like, like that it all I mean, comes back to access to the cards. Because right. it does if, if if Joe had access to the cards, he would be able to build a deck. And then he would be able to, because because Joe doesn't want to play with someone else's deck, he wants to play with his own deck. Joe wants to own the cards that he's going to play in the tournament with. So he has to get the cards first before he can feel like he's ready to construct a deck that he wants to play in a format. Then he has to go and play against other people and learn the metagame and right, explore learn that, the format. and explore the format more. But the barrier, the initial barrier, I mean yes, you can own all the cards and not have any idea what's going on, build a horrible deck and then go play poorly all day against stuff that you don't have understand like the first way to deal with. But the initial barrier and the biggest barrier, because yes, Joe could just as easily borrow a deck from you, or borrow a deck from like Paul or something, and like and be able to like play those decks and then like and learn the format. But Joe wants his own cards. Joe wants to play with his own cards. And it sounds like I'm talking in third person. Well, no, um, but but <laughs> so, so it's a little bit actually. But like but he but you know he wants to play these decks and or he wants to own these cards to build the decks to play with, so that's really the barrier. Whereas the other things are a sub barrier, you know. Like the main barrier is that Joe wants to own these cards, and so I guess I guess let's let's, let's kind of same. focus the let's kind of focus the argument a little bit. Um, let's try to let's figure out since uh, let's, let's let's use a hypothetical here. Joe is a new player. Joe wants to play Legacy. How does Joe get into Legacy? So so this is what we're going to this is what we're going to do. I, and, and, and we're going to assume that Joe can only get into Legacy using the cards that he owns because you could because that's what you want to do yeah. and you you won't play personal. You personally won't play Legacy any other way. That's not really a hypothetical, okay. that's an actual yeah. fact. Yeah. So so let's say Joe needs to own the cards to play the format. What are the different ways for Joe to get these cards? The first way would be to trade for the cards. Okay, so so let's just say, like, given, like, say you have no money, um, you have to trade for the cards to to build your decks um, or use existing cards. Now, let's be fair, you have a Goblins deck that you could probably run in Legacy right now. Um, you have a deck that's put together and it pretty much has all of the Legacy Goblin staples in it. Uh, but it's back from when goblins were still standard legal. Is that correct? Yep. So, so you could use your pre-existing goblins deck to play in Legacy. If you wanted to just try the format yeah. out, trial by fire, throw yourself into an event and try to run the run in, you know run a deck in the event to get an idea of what Legacy has to offer, you would be able to use your goblins deck that you actually have right now and play. I no. could also
2: just use my standard deck if I wanted to just jump into a format. Right. Well, that's player. true. That's, that's true. I'm just but, saying. But the goblins, no goblins deck yeah.
3: is actually a—it's Le- actually a viable, considered a
4: legacy viable deck. Yeah, right. exactly. I exactly. Okay,
3: exactly. So, so that's so that's so that's one way you can do it. Um, you also, but okay, let's 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 get to the heart of Joe as a player. Joe wants to play blue control. Um, so, so that's what you want to do. Um, you want to play some sort of blue X control deck, am I correct? That's correct. And
2: you, I think that you said specifically you want to play countertop. I was thinking countertop or standstill. I wanted to play blue base, blue base control. Right. Yeah. Of course. So, so we're,
3: so we're getting into like, how do you get these cards? So you have to trade for those cards. Um, and I mean, standstills aren't terribly hard to acquire. I used to have a set and I think I got them stolen when I traded online. Um... (laughs) Uh, you know, so I mean, there are some cards in the deck. Those, those
2: aren't. I would even buy four Force of Wills. You know, like that's if I, if I could play Legacy, it's it's like things like the dual lands that are forty to sixty dollars each that become a problem. Yeah, you know, and Tarmogoyf. That's ninety to a hundred dollars. Yeah, even though you know that's not only reserve list, which is part of the reason this is a misnomer too. Exactly. We're, we're, talking, s- about we're talking about
4: reprints in general. Well, exactly. But I mean, if you're talking about 40 to $60, I can think of this um, this WorldWake card that's somewhat in the ballpark. You might have heard of it. Jace the Mind Sculptor? I have
2: heard of it and I could pull it in a pack right now. <laughs> For for four dollars, <laughs> or I could have bought it for twenty dollars, and when it, you know when I saw it, and knew I wanted it. That's the the difference. I didn't buy Jace, and you can say them. the same
4: argument about Tarmogoyf when it was standard legal. Exactly, and I did.
2: I had Tarmagoy's and I sold them. But I'm then... you know, but well, I'm just saying like I, I that, that's fine, and yes, there's, you can say that about anything. If I could time travel back to when it was standard legal, I could have done that, right? But I didn't, and I don't, and at this point right now when you're bringing up something like jace or bane slayer angel you know those are cards i didn't spend that much on those cards i bought you know i got a bane slayer out of a pack i bought you know three other ones for fourteen dollars each you know now they're fifty dollars and sixty dollars and that's i wouldn't have bought them at that price i don't think if it was just you know jace for example i i may have tried to to get Four Jaces at that price because he's the one card that it's like probably one of my favorite cards ever printed. You know, Tim so,
3: pulled the trigger, right?
2: Uh, what, what happened? Tim, what did Tim do? Tim, oh, he uh, bought four Jaces.
3: He's he, he, uh, I think they, he got them for 48 a piece. Now, FCA, FCA. So, uh, but he, he, yeah, he did it like about a week ago, he pulled the right. trigger. And uh, bought his four jaces, so he doesn't have to think about them anymore. Because uh, he's <laughs> just been staring at them, like, oh man, if only I had that card. So he just clicked it. He right. just He just went for it.
2: I mean, and there are certain cards that are going to be that way, you know. And that's that's a card that I would have probably done something like that for. My point is that the cards are available now. They're available. They're in people's binders. Wenzel, I don't I haven't seen a dual end in somebody's binder. Since in, mine, it, but I sold it. Yeah. Well, f- you know, it's very Correct. rare that I well, even see those cards available to trade for. That's what I'm saying. Like, these card standard cards are available. They're there. They're in a lot of people's binders. At the same
4: point, it. you could probably just say that it's a uh, location or possibly the players that... You- you know, the areas that you're at. Because, I mean, some players do have that stuff, you are, like, legacy stuff for trade. Right,
2: and and that's another thing. Like, so I'm going to go and I'm going to say, all right, you have all the stuff I need for legacy. What do you want out of my binder? I have, like, some of the best cards in standard here, you know, but basically I'm going to have to trade you two Elspeths to get your underground C, one underground C, and, you know, it's just like, this is ridiculous. Except the fact
4: that Elspeth's still playable is very playable in legacy. And the other issue, too, is that Dealers, I mean, this is a quoting from a dealer. Um, I won't give a name on Mana Drain. Basically, says, I am a dealer, I make more money selling standard stuff than I do legacy
2: stuff. So, they would take the standard stuff, they're right. no prone to taking it. Well, I understand pro- but I'm saying like, but to equal the value to, to you know, if I feel like if, if you weren't going to use it to begin with, then what's the difference? Right. Well, I'm just saying like, the thing is, I do play standard, and I want to play with. But Elspeth. you have
4: your sets, and most presumably everything in your trade binder is stuff you have extra of, or didn't want or aren't or, not, or have no plans to be using.
2: Right. So that's true. So I have one Elspeth. So now it gives me half an Underground C. You know, like I'm just trying to say like, even trading away like every good thing in my trade binder, all the all the valuable cards, it's not gonna get me a legacy deck. It's not gonna get me four Force of Wills and and four Underground Seas and, you know, whatever other dual land I happen to build. You know, I'm just, for example, um, you know, the the best stuff in my trade binder is Anne Elspeth, a Foil Sorin, a Foil Arid Mesa. Like, yeah, those cards are reasonably high dollar compared to standard cards, but a lot of the the legacy and vintage cards that's about half as much as some of those are worth or, or you know like force of will is like what forty or fifty bucks yes. so like so do they i mean so
3: so let's let 's talk briefly about reprints and let's talk a little bit about the reserved list um, and about the reprint policies and things like that, just kind of to figure <clears throat> out philosophies our, our our personal philosophies on <clears throat> what they should or should not do with those lists. So, obviously, they are taking steps... No, I won't say towards abolishing the reserve list, but they are taking advantage of loopholes in their reprint policy to print things like Phyrexian Negator. Phyrexian Dreadnought, Survival of the Fittest, Oath of Druids, etc., etc. Things like that. Yeah, they they are printing those. So, um... So what do you th- what do you think happens next? I mean, like, what what would you like to see happen next, and why? Really, I mean, like, well, now, Lloyd. Obviously, you are um, you are you're a strong believer in the preservation of the reserve list.
4: I don't know if I'd call it that because the thing is, realistically, right now the reserve list has a hole you can drive a truck through at this point.
3: Well, that's true, but, but what, what what reasoning do you have to want to see that hole closed? And 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 what reasoning do you have to want to see the reserve list not be abused any more than it already has? That that's a, I mean I'm curious I'm genuinely curious about that.
4: Okay, um, separate issue from reserve list give me a second. Thing about it is the policy is currently circumvented. It's circumvented by f- things like judge foils, things like special edition stuff. Main issue I'm seeing right now is a matter of credibility with Wizards of the Coast. Okay, if they're stating one thing and they're finding every loophole to get away from what they've stated, that's a little bit of a credibility issue. Why should I trust Wizards of the Coast at this point? And that's not saying I don't. I'm just saying, hypothetically speaking, why should I trust Wizards of the Coast as a consumer if they're going to literally try to get out of something, a policy that exists just Now, this is where someone's going to come in and say, but Wizards of the Coast today is not the same company that made said policy, and they're upholding it as a legacy-type veil." Pardon the
2: pun. Right, right. So what's your response to that? Because that's exactly right. That's exactly how I feel. They are, they're they're really an entirely different company. They just happen to, you know, it's it's pe- you know, people can make mistakes, people make up companies. I think the reserve list originally was a mistake. I think everybody at Wizards pretty much feel or at least the majority would agree that the re- reserve list was a mistake. So do they say, well, we said this and now we have to stick with it and live with it, or do they just bite the bullet and say all right we made one mistake we're going to make another mistake and just go back on our word uh, let, let us, me let, let me just
3: say like it's like it's like what if you say like what if i say to you something like joe I met this girl, she's incredible, I'm going to marry her and spend the rest of my life with her. And then, like... I I say, I've heard this before. Shut up. (laughs) And And then, you know, you get about six months in and you realize this person is terrible. And, like, you don't want to spend a second of your time with her, let alone the rest of your life. Do I stick with that promise because I made it and because I want to be a man of my word and stubbornly press forward with my promise, even if it was a terrible idea, even if it was something that I instantly regretted saying, you know, like... It's just like, Technically,
4: you have grounds for an annulment there, because you do not have a pre-existing condition that is suitable to having a marriage of said quality to begin with. It's like saying, for example, (laughs) Britney Spears getting married a couple years ago to Vegas Little White Wedding Chapel with a person that she doesn't even know their likes and dislikes. Well, yeah. (laughs) That's called grounds for an annulment.
3: Well, yeah, But, but... but... But, I mean, wouldn't you say that, like, you know, there are some grounds for annulment with the uh, Wizards uh, Agreement? I mean, like... Well, what you have
4: here in both this and the reprints is a no-win situation.
3: Yeah, well, no, it's... At
4: all. It's, it's a true. completely no-win situation. For example, I'll just... Uh, since I've already been pegged as the bad guy for two episodes, <laughs> I'm going to play with this. I'm going to play the role Sure, sure, sure. Let's get rid of the reserve list. Well... Here's the problem. If we get rid of the reserve list, what's going to happen? Well, sticks in the mud like myself are going to say, they took our cards.
3: (laughs) And they're going to
4: reprint everything. But here's what's going to be the flip side of the equation. Unless those cards are mass produced and pretty much effectively valueless and available to anyone who can drop 10 cents on them, Joe's not going to be happy because he can't get them even if they are reprinted in a
2: limited form. Am I right? Well, that was an extreme way to put it. But I I want... If you can't have a, a, a Master's Edition set in paper form, that's what I would. Well,
4: the thing is, if you can't get access... If they're reprinted you can't get access to them, It's might as well you don't have them to begin with. Right, right. So I so, want to have access
2: to them in something like Chronicles or Master's Edition, whatever you want to call
4: Chronicles it. Chronicles is mass-produced, though. Master's Edition is a different thing, though. Master's Edition is supposedly a limited print run.
2: Okay, well, something like that. That's what I mean. But, something I mean, it's
4: is, th- that's an example of a no one situation. You can't get out of that way. Now, if you go with the, well, we have to preserve the reserved list. Well people the sticks in the mud go, well, you're still breaching it because of this, 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 and this. And now you have people on Joe's end going,
2: well, now I can't get my cards, damn it. Right, exactly. So they're, it's, uh, but it's that's, an, the, that's a situation all the time. They can't please everybody. Every time they release a set, somebody's going to bitch about what color is not supported well. Like, there's people who are going to complain about no, everything they do. They and in, that's the know, point. Just, like, so you can't PR win. Is so, exactly. They can't win. So why not do what they feel is best for the company? Right, because I mean, I mean, they are because the they are for the game. They oh, are, I don't, don't know. I'd
4: probably say something like this. Uh, what I'm quoting is an argument on mana drain uh, directed at Stephen Minenian. But here's the thing I wanted to put. I'm surprised that they went with a loud voice over a tournamentizer. The best argument in your favor is that you've sufficiently been loud in the past to get Time Vault eroded and Shazid almost unbanned. Like I said, the fact that they chose you makes me think they wanted to be talked into reprinting cards banned in Legacy and or policy decisions that are internally unpopular. That's the best argument in favor of me. It couldn't possibly for some other reason, such as they think that I have expertise in both formats, have been involved in the community of both for years, and could give them insight in the community as well as anyone else. Can I not stroke or deflate your ego by talking about other people who are better candidates if they haven't already made up their minds on legacy-oriented reprints someone accused him? Court replies, I can tell you for a fact they haven't. I'm not allowed to directly quote them per NDA, but they were extremely candid and clearly being forthright about what they wanted to do. They were very clear that they have not even considered the possibility of doing real legacy reprints. That really wasn't even on their mind.
2: Hmm. Okay. So it's good. The thing about right. it is, we can get rid of the reserve list, but it might not even fix what you're asking. Right. I'm not asking exactly for the... Re- what the, the reserve list is no, just a casualty I'm of not what talking, I want. I'm not saying that.
4: I'm saying basically like... Let's reserve list aside. They may not even reprint the stuff that you your right. whole re- argument about the reserve list to begin with. So, what is the discussion about at this
2: point? Well, that's what, like you said in the beginning of the episode. It, it's uh, it is a misnomer because the reserve list isn't exactly the topic that I'm discussing. I'm that's just a casualty of what I would like to see as a player. I this to me, Magic is a game. It's a game I love to play, and I want to play every deck I see. Like I'm like. And you know it because I have in my book bag right now Naya Lightsaber, Eldrazi Green. Those aren't even decks that I normally like to play, but I have them built because I want to play... I love this game. I want to play... I want to see what it's like to play all different kinds of decks. Yes, I have favorites, but, uh, you know, I I love this game, and I I wish all the cards were a penny. Like, I don't care. If they were to say, you know what, we're just going to... flood the market with every card we've ever printed, reprint them. I don't care about the value because to me that's like awesome. Now I can play any deck I want. You know, that would be heaven for me. Like great. Now I can just buy every card so I can build every deck as many as I want, you know, and that's what I would I would love. Of course that's not going to happen, but I'm just trying to say like as a player and a lover of this game, that's what I would like to see because I want to play those that way. I want I want to play everything.
3: You know, uh, you know, um, a lot of the appeal of magic for me, mm-hmm. um, and this is kind of funny, but mm-hmm. is the uh, like the fact that you can use your see this would kind of counteract what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. You can use your cards as currency in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, I have this big ass binder of cards, right? I can show up somewhere, not having money to eat breakfast, <laughs> not having money for anything. And be able to interact and exchange currency with other people all day long, if Mm. I wish. You know what I mean? So I love the interaction of trading cards for cards... I love the fact that cards do have values, and and trying to acquire cards that are worth more than the cards that I have. Not meaning like ripping people off, but like you know trying to get a good. There's value nothing trade. cool like and that's nothing... a
4: driving factor of value in general for the trading perspective. If you have, let's just say hypothetically, unlimited print runs of every card, be I'm like never gonna. Company. I'm never gonna buy anything. I'm never gonna buy the new set of, um, let's travel back in time here. I'm never going to go back and I'm going to buy World Wake here because Jason, my sculpture is going to be out in M11 and I can just get it cheaper then.
3: Right. Right. The well, thing is, like,
4: if you re- if you know for sure that everything's going to be reprinted anyway, all value just flatlines and the
2: secondary market ceases to exist. Right. And, and I agree. That's fine. But I was just telling you my dream scenario is is something, I, I just said it, but like, I like Monopoly, right? Because I can buy Monopoly and I can play it. I have all the pieces right there. <laughs> I can be the dog or the iron or whatever I want to be, you know what I mean? Like, I can do that, and that's what I, to me, it's a game, I want to play it, and there's thousands of options, and and that's what makes this game so much more attractive to me.
4: And that's, see, that's where you and I all agree to disagree, that we each have different perspectives. You are more experiential, like you want to have everything before you experience. I'm more, I like to know what I'm getting myself into before I get into it. Like, when I got into Vintage, for example, and I, um, as Joe, like, frequently hinted about two episodes ago about how I uh, spent my uh, college scholarship money on <laughs> vintage cards. I didn't um, hint.
2: I straight up said it. You straight <laughs> up said it. Okay, <laughs> so I'll, let me give my background here
4: a little bit. I, am, um, I have a master's degree. As a master's degree student, I was given a scholarship. Half of my monthly teaching stipend went towards my rent, and the other half I put towards getting my Power 9 cards. <laughs> So awesome. And half my de- my uh, my job salary as a desk reception when I wasn't paying rent or covering groceries went towards getting things like mana drains and dual lands and stuff like that because I was playing extended when this stuff was legal and I wanted to get into vintage. Like, I knew what decks I wanted to play because I had played them um, on Apprentice, which was a really big thing back then, for testing different decks and getting the feel that, like, I like the feel of this card. I like the theory of this. I know that I only need one copy of the Abyss because I can tutor it up, drop it, and all creature decks now suck, except with they have artifacts, creatures. Mm. So it's like, I know what I want to get, so I have a hit list of, I must get this card, this card, this card, this card, to make decks XYZ, which I enjoy. I don't usually branch out, try different decks, like, build the get the cards to build them, and then go, I don't like that deck, because to me it seems like, I just don't think it's a prudent uh, use of my limited funds.
2: You're right, I agree with you. I and mean, that's how I actually approach things, the way you're saying, because, if, for the most part, because it's not limitless and it's not a penny a card, like I said, uh, I do have to say, all right, what decks am I going to build and what cards do I want, you know, and try to specifically target the things I want more. Right, but I mean, what I was getting at, with the format was, this is the difference that, I, that
4: you and I were kind of not hitting earlier. Before I got into Vintage, I knew what decks I wanted to play, or what decks I would be familiar with, and everything like that. Like, I knew an idea of the metagame. I knew what deck I wanted to play. I knew I wanted to play Red, Blue, and Black. Gee, why does that sound familiar? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, red, Blue, and Black, Old School Expulsion. A deck running Mistress factories, Strip Mine, Wasteland, Abyss, Triple Morphling, Mana Drains, Force of wills. I knew I wanted to play the deck, so I knew that I had most of the cards. I knew some of these were transferable into Extended, so I knew I had a very good source to get all this stuff for both dual lands and for the Force of Wills. So realistically, for Vintage, I, all I had to get was my mana drain of $20 a piece. Hmm. Right. So with the barrier to entry wasn't as high back then. It wasn't as high because, first off, there was no demand. But the second part about it, too, is that I took advantage of the scenario. You factor in when Extended started rotating, what rotated out. Everything in Revise, Ice Age. Look at all the people that were getting rid of that stuff. Because right. it's not, you know, it's not legal and Extended anymore. Right. And um, there's an article from that time period by Steve O'Connell on Star City Games basically saying to those people leaving Extended, guys, vintage, come to it, try it out. This is the opportunity you've had. And I jumped on the boat there. Because yes. that was the opportunity, the scenario there. If you want a
2: card it is available. There's no disputing that. So that's great. I mean, and I wish we were in that situation right now. If we were in a situation right now where it was like, this is happening, and, you know, I would be jumping on that kind of thing. Just like, you know, I'm keeping tons of my fetch lands because I think, you know... That's why we rotate because right.
4: that's the thing. It's like, you can, based off past trends, you can see what cards are going to,
2: quote-unquote, hold their value exactly. like, play-wise. But, but my point is that... I what you did then is a parallel to what I'm doing now with, for example, Fetchland, something like that. So, yes, I'm trying to keep ahead of the trends now, no, but at but this is... point, I can't do that with Legacy. You know, Legacy right now has gotten prohibitively expensive, and it's not, not something I can do. I'm saying right now, Legacy is way too difficult to get into for someone who doesn't have most of the cards. Right? Does that make sense? Okay, let's say... It's a, expensive. I'm not going to disagree. Though. Let's I'm say a thought. new
3: player... Mm-hmm started playing, doesn't own any cards. Mm-hmm. And the first thing they ever, like, were, were st- mm-hmm. the first, the like, the only people that they hang out with, let's say that, like, you know, you have a circle of, like, five people who play Legacy together exclusively. Mm-hmm. And they have a friend that they want to get into the game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So they bring him in, like, here, check out this game. You know, this is cool. You guys should, you should play with us. Okay, yeah. You know, I want to build a deck. What do I do? You right. know what I mean? Like, okay. there, there's going to be such a... You know, it's like, well, you've got to spend, like, 600 bucks to build a deck. Yeah. And they're going to be like, uh, I'm not playing this stupid game. Yeah. Like, you guys want to play Risk? You know what I mean? <laughs> right, like, right. Like, I mean, like, I just feel like that that's definitely something... I mean, obviously, Legacy isn't the, like, the entry-level format. That's, right.
4: that's the thing. You can make the same argument that how much money do you spend on a standard deck nowadays? I think uh, someone priced out Jund and... Blue-Eye Control on... I have... Netflix, like uh, the other
3: day? I've spent very little money in...
4: Uh... Like, what well, no, I was saying, if you were to break in brand new, so the same scenario, different format, it's about to get, say, John, or the Blue-Eye Control deck, or Pat Chapin together, it's about $600 right there. Right. right.
2: So if you were to buy the singles, you're right. If, if Somebody okay. with no cards, but that's not exactly the kind of thing that, for one, I don't think most people would do something like that exactly, but the... I think what what I would suggest, somebody who says, hey, I want to get into this game, you know, I want to build a deck, what do, I, what do I do? I mean, they've got a couple options, but if they wanted to work themselves to a Tier 1 deck, I'd say go buy a box of these cards, figure out what kind of deck you want to build and trade the other stuff to try to get, you know, to try to build this deck. You know, yes, it's going to cost you, you know, 90 bucks or something for a box, but that's a lot less than the $600 or the $500 for what the deck ends up being, because the thing is... A lot of it does, like Joe has done, is a lot of trading to be able to build his decks.
3: Right. Because, I mean, I have, I, have almost, I have almost no income. Right. You know, I have, like, practically no income at all. Um, so, like, even trying to play, it, like, an extended deck is pretty hard for me. But, like, so, but you know, I mean, obviously there are ways around it. There are ways to make it work but like with standard i mean like i've just done a lot of trading to yeah. get the things that i need and, and playing
2: in sealed and limited these are things not available to somebody who wants to play legacy i can't play in a booster draft for for you know 12 15 bucks and pull force of wills but what
4: if you were playing say in a place that let's say does fnm mm-hmm. but gives you store credit which you could put towards duals well, I mean, and all that
2: and, stuff. And that's an option,
3: yeah. But then the store has to actually have those. Right. You know, I mean, like, we could do store credit every week at the Spiral, but it doesn't matter how much credit you save up, you're not going to be able to buy a single dual land or force of will from us right? because we don't have those. We only right. have standard stuff. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a matter of finding a store that has that stuff available. I mean, God forbid you try to get singles from Legends. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I mean, that's 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 kind of a non-issue. Even for standard. Yeah. In a lot of <laughs> cases. Pretty much. Um, you know, but... I mean, so it's, so, it's, so it's, like, difficult to even find. I mean, like, I'm sure, you can go online and find places that sell cards. But, like, there are, other than strict financial transactions, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of difficult to, uh, to get things um, for those different formats. So
2: I, I really want to know, like, why, like, what is it that, that why you don't want these cards to necessarily be reprinted? Like, is it because you've got money, you know... No, it's not. ...into it, or what what exactly
4: is it? It's hardly about money for me.
2: Okay, so that's what I want to know. What is it? I mean,
4: my case basically is, it's part of the training experience, it's a part of an opportunity, it's part of the history of the game, and if you recreate history constantly, it has no meaning.
2: Yeah, I guess I'm not sure that that... uh, None of that really
4: doesn't... uh, See, that's the problem. See, the problem is that you could make... I can make an argument, and if it's a value-based judgment, it doesn't matter at this point. My opinion and my feelings on the topic and your feelings on the topic really don't mean anything with this topic. Because if we're going to ta- discuss the issue, discussing the issue is I don't see a reason to reprint them if they're
2: available. Well, And, that's my, and my issue is that they're not very available. They, they are. are. You can get them if you want them. That's the Right truth. They're, pro- they're they at a really prohibitive cost you know, compared to other formats. Like more but
4: that's know. natural for the formats because you're looking at it from the sake that the format does never
3: cycles. Right. Versus
4: a format that does cycle every two
3: or year. I guess one one point I could I could make um taking Lloyd's side for a moment is that um you know if you wanna if you wanna ride like if you want to get like a, a fifty seven Chevy you know what I mean? Like right. and then you want the experience of driving a 57 Chevy, you're not going to be able to go to a Chevrolet dealer and be like, "Give me a 57 Chevy, but give me one that was made right now." Cuz it's like, right. "Uh, no." Because they were made in 1957. And if you want a 57 Chevy, you're going to have to get yourself a 57 Chevy and drive that, and that's right. nothing
4: to do with the sake of like money or anything like that.
3: It's a, it's the authenticity of it's it. not
4: the authenticity, even. It's a matter of the sake of that's it's none. Of, I mean, it's a playability of the format, and it's one of those things of there's so many other factors that I don't think it's going to fix the problem. Like what you what what Okay, if like if proxies ruined the vintage metagame here in the United States, a step up from that is mass reprints of staple cards, in my opinion. I don't think that'll fix the scenario because as I've been trying to get at, there's the barrier to entries other than the availability of the cards are what are really (laughs) keeping people out of the format. Like there's nothing keeping me taking Joe Joe Panuska here. Hey Joe, do you want to go to Philadelphia next this coming week to play in a proxy vintage tournament where you will have the ten proxies to do that?
3: No, I'm judging the Baltimore Open. Okay, that <laughs> is <simple. laughs> no. But I mean, that's my thing. Me personally, were I not judging the Baltimore Open, mm-hmm. why the hell not? I mean, I would totally. I mean, like, I mean, I, I I feel like I feel like it would be a fun experience. But I'm all about you know. Well, I mean, let's go through thing. another example,
4: Joe. When we did extend the prepping for the extended PTQ. How much did you know about the metagame?
3: I mean, like, I knew some of the decks that were around, but as far as, like, how they interacted with the deck I was planning on playing, absolutely nothing. That's
4: a barrier to entry right there. If you don't know how your deck is going to do against other decks, or how this format goes, or the sp- the, uh, the pace, the speed... You are putting yourself at a disadvantage. Like
2: I, I'm not saying there aren't other barriers to entry, but part of those barriers to entry is actually the fun of exploring the format. Like it's the fun of playing a game. It's you know the barrier to entry of playing Monopoly is you need to know how to play Monopoly. You know that kind of thing. I mean, that's I keep using that example, but it's a game, and you know, of course, you don't have to. You could say like, you know, there's all kinds of barriers to entry, but what the I'm big saying, one is not having. What I'm saying though, though is that card. when
4: you bring up those barriers to entry, if someone isn't accustomed to those, or doesn't want to deal with those, or doesn't enjoy those possibilities. Mm-hmm. That is a very big barrier. you like you might not enjoy having a first turn Trinisphere lock you out of the game.
2: Right, and I can't speak for for anybody else, and I can't even speak for myself because I haven't been in that situation yet. But I'm, I'm saying like I can't even explore the format. I can't. I'm but beca- you can. I I can't. You can't explore it in your preferred method. Exactly.
4: But you can. You can
2: explore it. But why? What I'm saying is why not. Why not reprint the stuff? What is the good? where's is, where is the reason why not? Because you're saying, you know, your feelings don't matter. it's a value. No, I'm not saying there's right? anything about value. I'm not. I,
4: did I well, mention? I didn't mention value. I didn't mention. I feel it is not a good thing.
2: Well, that's what I'm saying. So tell me, why not? Why not reprint the stuff?
4: Because it is a no-win scenario. There, no good will come out of this in any way, shape, or form. Right. Regardless so you're of saying, what you do. Exactly. So obviously, so can't mean, win. Why
2: not? Why not lose in the best way possible? Who says this is the best way possible you can't quantify the that it is the right bit. i mean i think you the majority like, of oh, you can't quantify
4: that it is the best way possible for all parties involved you could say that it is a if you can verify that it is the best way involved
2: fine i'm but not you saying for you all c- parties involved i'm saying for most parties for wizards like and the majority of players the majority i would say i would say that
3: and, and, and we're really not trying to gang up you. No, no, no. I don't know, not in any way. I can care out. less. If you both think you
4: can take me, try it. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, I would say that it's probably safe to say that more than 50% of the players, not not, not counting anyone who just like collects cards or anything like that, not yeah. counting vendors. That's actually a good point. I would say that. more than 50% of the players that currently play the game would like to be able to play in a format that they don't have the access to. I mean, and they don't want to make the financial commitment to but want to play the game. Yes. Um, I would say that those people would like to see cards reprinted. Now, I can totally understand the argument that you know, if it's, you know, there, there there are classic cards and there is a mystique about some of the cards where, like, you know, the, the dual lands are in revised, you know what I mean? Like, the dual lands are from revised and older, mm. and, you know, if you want dual lands, then buy, if you want cheap dual lands, buy revised dual lands, you know what I mean? Mm. Because that's where they were, you know, that's when they were printed, and and you can't and you can't reprint like like I said before you can't reprint a fifty seven Chevy you know what I mean you can't right. reprint well, an my, old car well what I was saying
4: earlier is about that fact of credibility on Wizards of the Coast part right but that's one issue right there I mean you want to hurt your own credibility to...
3: but but in a way in a way it's not really their credibility it is Wizards of the Coast as a named entity's credibility which is what matters under legal purposes sure but. I mean, is there really, I mean, like, is there really a legal argument? You
4: could actually make a legal argument. That's actually been discussed on the Star City forums.
3: Hmm, interesting. It's, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, well, but, I mean, like, you, you have this policy in place, and yes, you could, I mean, there are ways around it.
4: Which they're already taking advantage of, and which is why I'm saying the reserve list is, I agree, do I agree the reserve list is functionally useless? Yes, because they can <laughs> bypass it every existing way possible. Now, how should they we... bypass it is another story. And going from bypassing it to reprinting, taking stuff off the reserve list and reprinting it, that's another step from we can reprint it. Right. Okay. So, because we're looking at a different tiered system here, that's the problem that we're getting at with this discussion. And I kind of figured was going to happen. Right. Well, the, the big problem is that they created the list in the first place. So, should there so, be a reserve list? Do I agree with that? Yeah. I can care less about the reserve list. Because the thing is, as they've proven, just because they can't reprint, it's not on the reserve list doesn't mean they will reprint the card. Mana, Drain, and Forcible are not on the reserve list. Right. right. They have not been reprinted. I think someone in R&D once said, We would have to be hit by a bus
0: before we reprint Mana Drain. <laughs> <laughs> right,
2: but I, and even that statement was probably they're talking about standard, putting it in the standard. Oh, no, I think and, I was talking about in general.
3: <laughs> I think that, I think that um, I mean, how do you feel about them doing, like, something like a From the Vault set? Or they, if they did, like, a From the Vault, Dual Lands. Okay? Or <laughs> From the Vault, Lands, and included, like, Tabernacle. And, like, maybe so, I'm, I'm, I, right. god oh, okay. forbid mishra's workshop but i'm just i'm just i'm just being antagonistic right but i'm um, saying if
2: i could buy 4 of those at msrp i would
3: you know i mean like like if oh. they printed one of every dual land and even if msrp was like 150
2: bucks well that's a different MSRP, okay but, no, but hold on about. hold well, on but yeah.
3: we're still talking about for $150 you would get 10 dual lands okay mm-hmm. you would get tabernacle at Pendrel Vale. Mm-hmm. you would get Let's say Winter Mistress Factory to make it a little <clears throat> less uh, contentious, you know. And you would get three other staple lands. What? What are staple Tarnished Citadel? Um, what? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't talking I, don't, I don't about. I've never even heard of that card. I don't even know. What, name all <laughs> <path>. Name three <laughs>
4: others. <laughs> oh my God! Did you
3: just say Mazarin Path? You Maze of it. Okay, yeah, Maze of it. Maze of Myth is not terribly expensive, anyway. expensive. Maze of is easy to get a hold
4: of.
2: Just a classic. Oh, I'm not but trying But it's a to... classic. It's right, a classic. That's what. I'm um,
3: about. You know, Gaius Cradle. Right. Um, and like Telerian Academy, things
2: like that. Right. There
3: you go. Whatever. You know. So like, so like, you know, fifteen lands. But but in there you got Tabernacle of Vale. You got ten dual lands, and it was 150 dollars. Would you buy that product?
2: I probably would still. Yeah, if I was getting. That, that much stuff out of it, I probably would. But I have to buy four of them, so it cost me $600 for just lands, and then I still it wouldn't have... But then it. you'd be done. Oh, of course. But and then you, you have that, all that, the was, that would be the appeal of it, and that's why I'm saying, yeah, I prob- probably would. And do you think that would really reduce the... Do you think that
3: would really reduce the, uh, the value? Do you think that would hurt the value of the dual lands? Do you think that would hurt the value of Tabernacle? If it was a limited print run, if it wasn't like a mass-produced thing... But, like, people who wanted to get their four copies of it could drop 600 bucks, get these play sets, and be done with it. And then there goes the barrier to entry. I mean, do you think that that would be something that could be worthwhile? Couldn't you make that argument, though, about reprinting things out on the reserve list, though, and doing the same thing? Sure. But I'm, I'm, I'm specifically talking about the Duelands. I'm talking about the number, one, the number one, like, I would say, required... Like staple piece of building a, a decent legacy deck would be probably the dual lands. So you have some, you know, mm-hmm. you can fetch them up, and 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 they're not going to make they're not going to come into play tapped if you pay t- if unless you pay two life. You know what I mean? Like they're they're going to come into play untapped. Ravnica dual lands?
2: No, he was no. saying not Ravnica. I'm not saying Robnickel. I'm saying
3: like you know to get the real quality dual lands. The you know the authentic. Which I guess we could put in quotes if it was a uh, new arts foil, right. um, but I mean, do you think, Lloyd, that that would be a problem? Do you think that that would be something that would hurt um, would hurt the game essentially? Do you think that that's something that would hurt the game? No, wouldn't hurt the game. I mean, because that that's one way to do it,
4: it without wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt the game direct. In theory, it doesn't hurt the game, except for the fact that the. Players that are already be it would be the same experience as Chronicles. Chronicles, in my opinion, started a mass exodus of people from Magic. My entire freshman class played Magic the Gathering. I can tell you, when sophomore year rolled around, and the Chronicles was printed that summer. I think the numbers were down to same, like two hands.
3: But but would so it, don't really, you
4: hurt I mean, the game by trying to help it at that point?
3: But is it really going to have the same effect as Chronicles? I'm not talking about a Chronicles two Electric Boogaloo here. I'm talking <laughs> about like. Uh, from-the-vault limited print run. I mean, did from-the-vault hurt the value of Berserk?
4: Not the unlimited, not the alpha and beta versions. This is what the argument is based on if you read both the articles that we've been referring to. But it neglects completely unlimited Berserk, which did fall.
3: But how But how much did it fall? And where is it now?
4: Mm, I don't remember the exact numbers, but the point is, unlimited and revised print runs of
2: Dual Lens will be hurt by those factors. Mono- right but then now the now players like me are involved in the format you know now we have now the price of other cards for example you know this is what what Bly-Weiss kind of this says this is, all, is
4: the thing is this is all hypothetical that because it's more available and more playable that it increases the price this is hypothetical it can't be proven
2: well i guess not but i, I it can be and that, that now that I have now that I've bought these these now I need Force of Will's now I'm actually buying the Force of Will instead of just looking at it now I just bought Force of Will's that I wouldn't have otherwise bought
3: and a lot of people are going to follow suit and Force of Will should I mean spike in price if people have access to those things and it wouldn't be like everyone had access to those dual lands right. it would be like people who really wanted to make a serious commitment to getting into a format like Legacy or Vintage would make that commitment to buying those. At like 150 bucks a pop, you know what right, I mean, right. and, and they would get the things they needed, and then have to seek out the other things. But it would seriously reduce the available, or, or seriously reduce the uh, the the barrier. You know what right. I mean? Like it would it would make it a little bit easier. It wouldn't make it so easy that you're going to see revised dual drop down to $5, 10 bucks because some people hate foils. Some right. people hate the new card borders. Some people are going to be like, man, this sucks. I just want the revised ones and are going to continue to buy the ones they have. The people who own them aren't getting rid of them anytime soon because they already have them and they have them for a good reason. Like, they want to get into this format. So I feel like it would just give some more players the opportunity to get into the format without seriously affecting the value of like the revised and unlimited... Uh, Counterparts of those lands.
4: Mm, I disagree with that. Actually, a unlimited a revi- set of forty revised dual lands in average condition is about fourteen hundred dollars. That's way too much too soon for something with that, hypothetically speaking, for wizards to muddle. I will call it. Is so, one, is one opinion here?
3: But I mean, like, okay, well, fourteen hundred to six hundred. But I mean, we're not talking about. Six hundred dollars times twelve million. You know what I mean? We're not talking about. I don't know how much. How what was the print run on the uh, on, on the from the Vault
2: Exile? I, I, I don't think they're ever even allowed to say what the print run is. I don't think they're that's something that they publish. Okay, it's just limited. That's all they say. It's just
3: a limited print run. I mean. I've seen one in a store, and, and, and this is just MSRP we're talking about here of 150. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we're not even talking about the inflation oh. of what stores will decide to charge for it. You know, so I mean, yes, it would make them more available uh, for a limited time, but then those copies dry up, and mm. the prices. I mean, even if the revised lands go down for a short while, the prices should you know resurge because. You know, people got that opportunity to get well, in.
4: Let me uh, quote what I'm talking about. Sure. Um, there's a discussion on Mana Drain about the reserve, about reprints in general. I'm not going to use the term reserve list because that's, as we've said before, there are certain examples of cars that have been reprinted and how their values have dropped. Um, the Berserk thing is that is. <laughs> Before it was restricted, an a lim- a a unlimited Berserk was $15. It jumped to 30, topped out at 45 to 50. When Berserk was printed in from the vault set last year, all versions lost value with the unlimited dropping to 25.30 eventually. However, this did take a while for it to drop, and the foil version, which is the from the vault set, is worth 15 to 25. Um, take Underworld Dreams as a contrast. That was 35 40. Right now, it is something like a dollar.
3: Well, that's because it was printed,
4: like, X times over. But that's what's going to have to happen for this accessibility to happen. Even if it's a limited print run, it's still not going to be enough to do this entry level for, so many, for the demand of people.
2: Right, so that's limited. why I think they should do another Chronicles. Electric Boogaloo, as Joe said. But that's, yeah. what I, that's if for the health of the game itself. Yes, the, the card values are going to drop for people that that have them but then I think they're going to go back up cuz it's a supply and demand thing. Now you have more people that can play. So now you know there's more desire for these cards that otherwise they had no desire for. No, they're desirable as it is. Right. But well, think well, I'm otherwise, the prices wouldn't desirable desirable to the point where they are actually buying the cards. I, yeah, do I desire black lotus and stuff? Sure, why not? But if I here's an example. There's of, with thing, the There's two card.
4: differences between the desire and the desire you're actually going to do something. Exactly, and that's what that's the and to me. If you're not going to do something, the desire it's idle speculation. It is more called the word being more right. called desire, and
2: that's where we're standing right now. There's a ton a of. of there, I think there's more people out there like me who desire to play Legacy, but I'm not going to do anything about it, because I can't, it's just not the barrier to entry is too high.
4: But then, going with what I said earlier, then if you don't want to do anything about
2: it, you don't desire. But I don't desire it to that extent, exactly. No, no, there's there's no, it's cut and dry. It's you desire or you don't. If you don't desire... I think it's definitely desire is not cut and dry. (laughs) To say desire is cut and dry, that's absolutely wrong. Um, It's just you can desire something to a certain degree. Is it worth the cost... Of attaining that, that desire or satisfying that desire. So, is it? Do I desire to play Jace the Mind Sculptor enough to pay for it? You know, twenty bucks for it, like I did. Yes. You know, and but is it? Do I desire to play Legacy enough to pay the? You know, nearly a thousand dollars to buy a deck.
3: I have a I have an example that I want to use. It's way too dirty for this podcast, so I'm not even going to bother. <laughs> oh, but goodness. you just got me thinking about something. Hold on. Something. Way too dirty, Joe? Can I, can <laughs> I, am I so, I'm sorry, did you say something? I'm going to say it and cut it out if you'd like. Okay. I was going to say, like, you know, what I really wanted to do um, tonight is to have some unprotected sex, okay? <laughs> and, um, you know, the, the, the I would say that the best, the, the simplest path to getting to the unprotected sex that I want to have is to buy a hooker, right? So, so hookers are readily available, and they're always willing to have sex. So, I would buy a hooker, and then I would pay... There's an upfront cost, right? So, I would pay money to have sex with this hooker. But then the lifelong STD that I get from having unprotected sex with the hooker, is it really worth... <laughs> Satisfying that desire. Satisfying that desire. <laughs> but it's, it's a consequence. Well, that's the thing.
4: If your desire isn't strong enough for you to actually act upon it, it's not a desire in that sense. Oh, yes, opinion. it is. Oh, it's <laughs> always a desire, my friend. Well, that's up you. Like I said, this is an agree to disagree thing. Because right. One of those things, if you have an unfulfilled desire, pardon the uh, magic card here... <laughs> You're, that's a good one, too. If, you're, if you have an unfulfilled desire, it's pretty <laughs> worthless because you didn't
2: act upon it. Because if somebody wants something bad enough, they're going to act upon it. Right, and I, I'll agree. I don't want it badly enough. And th- and that's made evident by the fact that I don't play Legacy. Or Do you know did. the number of right, any right, hookers? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's starting to motivate me here. <laughs> I want it no, badly uh, enough. And, and that, that's all it is. But from the perspective of you know, the format itself, it's when supply can't meet demand, then, you know, interest is going to fall off. And in the end, even look at Wizards of the Coast here. They've printed these cards already. You know, I mean, they're done. They they don't make any money off of Black Lotus right now, really. You know, they don't. They're, it's secondary market to them. So to them as a company... It's not it a concern. Doesn't, it doesn't, yeah, nothing. None of the, the fact that Legacy... You know, is popular or not means nothing to them unless there's a, there's cards in standard ah, but that's that are relevant. To if it doesn't matter to them, then why should they do it? Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. It it will matter to them if they can make money off of it, and they can make money off of it by printing these cards and making them more available. Now they're making money off of Chronicles too. You know, now they the company actually gets a profit off of this, and and that's that's. The, the secondary market is, of course, relevant, and I think it will always be relevant. Um, it's just going to fluctuate as it always has. I think, um, you know, Wizards of the Coast has very good uh, reason to want to, to do something like Chronicles because they can make money off of it. I mean, it, it's a very... The, the downside is that they break this promise, you know, that they made. And, uh, you know, that... That they made. I'll put that in quotes, air a, quotes. Just one thing while we're on the
4: topic. You don't. Could you pull up Aaron Twitter's uh, for uh, Aaron Forsythe's Twitter mm-hmm. real quick? Because yeah. I believe there's a relevant t- tweet he sent the last 24 hours or something like that. Hang on. So, 40 formats of 99% off sale cards doesn't make a lot of business sense, but having happy players does. Okay, if it doesn't make business sense, how are you going to convince Hasbro to get on board with this?
2: Well, because that's what they're saying. Supporting formats that uh, of 99% off-sale cards doesn't make business sense. That is... that's the thing. Right. right. It doesn't make business sense for them to support Legacy because they don't make any money Which off
4: just Which is it. what you're doing if you're trying to do this. So no, are... if
2: they start printing Chronicles, they are... They, they, they're they not off-sale cards anymore. That's what I'm saying. So they... When he's saying supporting formats, he means, I think, like tournaments and things like that. pro Tour. So pro Tour. right. He, he's not saying... By making them well, available, now I mean, they're not wholesale they... sale cards. Availability is a problem because they made a promise, or at least you could argue that the reason that they, they haven't uh, you know addressed this availability issue is because of the promise that they made oh, it's, after
4: Chronicles. It's a natural, like we've, I've been saying, it's a natural <laughs> consequence of making limited sense. Right. So, I mean, if you make everything unlimited, there's really little incentive to buy anything then and there if you know it's going to happen later. And you can get cheaper.
2: Right, and, and that's true. And that's hurting your sales anyway. They're, they're, the incentive is people who are impatient, like me. I want to play Jace, the Mind Sculptor, now. I don't care if he's being printed in M- M11. I want to play him now. <laughs> like, I... That, that, you capitalize on people like that. There's, you know, the iPhone and things like that, where it's like, well, next year they're going to be releasing probably a better one, so do I just wait for that? No, I want it now. Like, that's why you, you buy it when you want it. And if the people that want to wait can wait. But as far as, like, something being... But that's, see, that's the thing right there. That's what everything is based off of. All of
4: capitalism is based off marginal value. How bad do you want something? And how much would you, how much would you pay extra for the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixteenth copy of something? That's called marginal value. If you de- You'll decrease marginal value across the board that people don't have the desire to buy even the first one if you have master if you have your chronicles 2
2: set it's all conjecture you know what i mean I, at this point but i i would expect that something like chronicles would increase demand even if by one because now i demand it now I, it's something i want to do because he, these are available that's something i can say for sure um so now this is something that i want that that i will purchase from wizards of the coast you know not from the secondary market that they will be making money off of me that they weren't making previously. So I, I don't know. I think we've you know, it is an agreed to disagree thing, I guess. I'm just not really sure exactly what Well where well, the problem my, comes for you my point individually. Is, is, you
4: know. No, my, individually might take my individual arguments out of this completely because I'm just gonna I the reason why I kept my individual arguments out of this is because it's not about my opinion. It's about what I think is the issue list. It's the issue, not the person. If I wanted to make this Personal arguments, trust me, I probably could have pulled a couple things. I just held my punches.
2: Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. These are all, of course, my personal arguments. That's yeah, I'm not, say.
4: I'm not arguing from a personal standpoint, because if I were arguing from a personal standpoint, I could say something to the effect like, I don't feel that my student's uh, college tuition should be devalued having been invested in magic cards.
3: <laughs> that, doesn't, that bothers
4: me. It doesn't. So if, it's definitely not
3: about value. Um, Well, I mean, I I didn't think that we would, like, using this, like, form, I didn't think that we would actually come to any sort of conclusion or change anyone's mind, but it was a fun exercise to, like, just kind of get some different opinions and just to have a discussion on the reserve list, because um, I feel like a lot of the discussion on the reserve list has been very one-sided from people who are of Joe's perspective, like, get rid of it entirely. And I felt like, I felt like Lloyd deserved um, an opportunity to represent the, the, the vintage community and to... Whoa, whoa,
4: whoa, time out. Hold on a second. <laughs> like, Wait I totally did not represent it. the vintage community. I, no, I was, you like, don't, you don't know. can make the <laughs> argument that
3: Stephen
1: Nathan did that job already.
3: Well, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, represent your side. Like represent that, your that side. Represent a
4: side that's a, a dissenting opinion.
3: Exactly. Well, it. that's a good idea. I mean, like, I just feel like I feel like that was important, and I felt like that that was an important perspective for people who might listen to us and might have only been seeing one side of the argument. You know what I mean? I I felt like we needed to get that other side out there while also, you know, while also giving the opportunity to discuss that side of the argument, and, you know, I just just felt like it was a a useful exercise. Um, Hopefully, the listeners will find it equally as useful, Um, and hopefully, uh, you know... Joe won't just edit all of Lloyd's comments out. <laughs> Lloyd well, uh, no, wasn't even here. Right. <laughs> oh, <Okay. laughs>
2: But uh, just to, to kind of close, I want you to have a chance because just to kind of sum up your argument for why you think that printing more copies of these cards is a bad idea.
4: Um, I basically think it's a bad idea on the grounds that, first off, you're going to piss off everybody. You're going to piss off everybody because there will not be enough for the player base that's desiring these reprints unless it's mass-produced, which if you go that far, is and that being the only logical conclusion for the sake of the game, you will offend anyone that's... A lot of people, I'm not going to say everyone, that's a you know generalization, that would be unfair. You will offend a lot of people that have invested the time to do it. You devalue the trading experience of the value of the currency, as Joe put it, of getting cards. There's a loss across the board, and I don't know if the gain offsets that loss, is a short version of it. Okay. That potential gain and a potential loss. I can all admit, the loss is potential. All of it is speculation at this point. Right.
2: And I think that's where our disagreement is, is in what actually would happen. Because... You think there's going to be a loss across the board, and I think there's going to be a gain. <laughs> so I, that's where I disagree I'm not goes.
4: saying I'm saying there's going to be a gain, but I'm not saying the gain's going to offset oh, the loss.
2: I, 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 I do. That's what I mean. I think the gain is going to, off, to offset the loss, because I think there are the the legacy and vintage community is a lot smaller than the non-legacy and vintage community, who now will have an opportunity to, to, to play those. So I think there's more people that are... or, or there's less people that would be hurt Less people that stand to lose than stand to gain. That's what I mean. Did, including Wizards of the Coast. Did you want to
3: add anything else, Lloyd, like, before we wrap up?
2: No, not
4: really. I do think we're... Like, like I said, I think we're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, well, yeah, <laughs> I think that was... I think we, I think we basically just... I mean, I. Uh, that's the basic gist of it. It's like there, whatever loss, whatever gain may happen, I don't think it's necessarily going to offset the potential losses. And might actually... If it does, that's great. If
2: it doesn't, well, you know,
4: it's one of those things that I don't... I'd rather err on the side of being, you know, a stingy and then loosen up as opposed to try to open things up too quickly and then ruin everything at that point. And,
3: I, I, you know, I, I'd just like to say that I really feel like I've, I've gained some new perspectives today. Um, I feel like, you know, I've heard your side, and I've heard your side before, mm-hmm. but I feel like I've gotten some different, like, I would say some greater insight. Into you as a magic player, frankly. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I really feel like um,
4: oh, I, if you want to put it this way, you could say that Joe is the proletariat and I'm an elitist jerk. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, um, you know, I feel like Lloyd has also um, really helped me realize, honestly, some of the reasons why um, you know doing away with the reserve list entirely might be a bad idea. Um, I mean, I mean, not okay. May, okay let's okay let's 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 try to stray away from the reserve. Valu- let's, let's talk but but all i'm is. saying is like mass reprints i mean like i i personally like like i said i'm personally of the opinion of some sort of limited print run some sort of special promotional kind of deal or like a gradual release of things here and there like i'm okay with that I, I personally don't think that, um, and I would say that was a problem, but I hear it on the radio all the time. Um, That's funny. I hear computer noises on the radio constantly. I'm like, are you serious? Like... That's funny. So, my point was that I'm starting to see some of the reasons why mass reprints might be bad. And, and, and you know, it's not that I think that players shouldn't be allowed more access into um older formats. It's just that I, I think Lloyd has a decent point. That there is something that could be considered going too far. And I feel like there if they want to give people access to older formats in a way that will benefit them financially and to um not Destroy the collectability of some of the older cards that they're going to have to really approach it, um, like delicately, is it, as the best, is the simplest way to put it. Is that they're going to have to approach the issue delicately and they're going to have to approach it very carefully, or they could potentially damage older formats, in, in my opinion. I mean, like, yes, I understand that having more players playing a format is better for the long-term health of that format but to do something like printing a second chronicles to me feels like it, it it could it has the potential to be bad but i feel like you know something like from the vault has been done in a limited enough run where if it's done right could be one way to get Some you know get some more people into the game,
4: right? And what I've been saying with that is that effectively is a shot in the arm, a bandaid on a cancer patient.
2: Okay, and I agree with that. That's actually one of the things I have written here. That's literally the thing because
4: it's a bandaid on a cancer patient that it fixes. It fixes like yeah, you got more people involved in say for like what the print of like roughly fifteen hundred people. Divide that by four. That's how many people you got in legacy. You right. did get more people involved in the format, yes. You accomplished your objective, but it's not enough for everybody to get involved. And in order to do that, you have to take it a step further, and that's
3: where the problem starts. Right. Well, maybe you don't want to get everybody involved,
4: and in then everyone's. you have dissatisfied people like Joe who aren't able to do it now because they aren't those c- cars that were more available. Now they still can't get a hold of them. Right.
2: right. Now, now that's actually what, one of my points here: is a trickle of inserts is not going to help enough to matter. It's actually probably the worst option because now they piss people off. Some cards lose value because they print. Kind of these limited amounts, but it's not enough to significantly increase demand because not enough people can get into it. Like, and this goes say, harkens
4: back to my lose-lose situation. You can lose by not doing anything at all. You can lose by starting to do something. You lose even. You can lose. uh you know, just dropping the boat.
2: Right. Well, and, and for example, in this the trickle sense of the word you're, you're using from the vault, I'm thinking they did this priceless treasures thing with Zendikar. You know and well have some- I'm just saying if I would have pulled a black lotus from that I would have sold it because it, I would have had no use for it I couldn't play it and I'm not gonna let it sit in my binder for no reason just to have that's not you know it's just doing nothing I want to play with it but I'm I don't can't play with it I don't have the cards to surround it to make me feel like it's a I can play a deck so to me you know pulling a you know a single revised dual land I probably would have sold it I mean maybe that would have been something I would have held on to but because it, would, I didn't stand to gain as much monetary value in selling it, you know, fifty or sixty bucks. But it still would have been like sitting there, and I don't know that it would have enticed me enough to go out and seek out the other fifty-nine cards I need to play, you know, my deck. So, so those trickles, I feel like, you know, that kind of thing is just not enough to matter. Judge promos, these here and there kind of things, like it's just not enough to make a difference. Right. Um, and as far as like. Some people's arguments, which wasn't brought up now, is was about, like, Wizards printing something and it not being standard legal. You know, like, Great. players are going to not, be confused. But that's not right. true, because that they've got unglued, unhinged, dual decks from the vaults. Those yeah, are all I mean, products All ra- that, all that aside,
4: I mean, that's the thing right there. Standard legality is not an issue, because they can do it, and this is said, They can do a set that's not standard legal. It's a... They've done it, and they're doing it. Yeah, they are doing it. So, I mean, that's that's not not an issue. issue.
2: Right. Um, One example I wanted to give was Versus System. Um, Those cards are out of print, but they're worthless because they have no game to support it. Now, we're not to that extreme at all with Magic, and I don't think it's going to go to that extreme. But if, you know, these cards are less and less available because they're out of print, it's going to get to a point, like with Vintage, where the interest dies off because they can't keep, they can't build the format. They can't keep drawing in interest because there's not enough cards available, so it kind of dries up. Now these cards can start to drop in value. I mean, they've gained... A lot of the Legacy staples have doubled in value because of the tournaments and then being relevant and being being, uh, heavily played. As soon as those Legacy tournaments stop or stop being successful, those cards are going to lose their value and probably go back to around what they were. So, you know, you have kind of an example here of you know, the fact that they are relevant and can be, um, and are heavily played is actually playing, is helping their value. So, the more people I think you can get into the game, the more they stand to gain from, uh, the, the card's value actually stands to gain. Maybe not initially, but eventually. Um, I think, you know, cards have value because they're either scarce, like alpha, beta, first printings of things, um... Or they're heavily played, because basically both of those are just saying demand is greater than supply. They're a function right? of each
4: other at that right. point. And we, we, there's no disagreement on that. Right. I
2: right. mean, the example, I think, in one of the articles was Shiv and Dragon. Now, it's not a great card. It's not heavily played, but the alpha version is scarce, so it's it has because some value. It's an alpha version. Right, exactly. It's scarce. It's scarce. So for the collectors out there, they want it because it's scarce. Well, if they reprint Shivan Dragon, which they have, it doesn't lower the value of that initial alpha printing because it's an alpha alpha one and it's the only one it's still alpha but you're using the alpha alpha.
4: beta argument with that's not the same argument as using something like dual lands which are available revised and unlimited which do get hurt unlike alpha and beta because alpha and beta maintain their value regardless right but But, and the majority of that market in dual lands is the unlimited revised set that's the that's over 75% that's probably 75% of the dual lands available on the current market
2: Right, so and my argument is basically any dual lands they put into the market are going to want people are going to want to play them. Right? Or you know I mean? they're going I totally to disagree with that. There's dual lands that never see play. Well, I'm, I'm just saying like they're gonna they're gonna keep their value because that's more people that can play. You know, if somebody if they just you know, I had a printer here that was direct line from Wizards of the Coast and they just hit print and sent me out a you know, a set of all the dual lands Guess what? They have another legacy player right now because I've got the dual lands. You know, they just increased their player base by one by just hitting print on the dual lands for me. You know, now I can play. Uh, you know, I can play legacy because I have this chunk of cards that's that's so important to legacy. Um, you know, now I'm. That's what I'm saying. They've increased their player base by one just simply by doing that. Uh, and so my argument is that when they do that, if they they magnify that, they multiply that by thousands. Of course, there's going to be players who go dual lands, and they're not going to play them. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of players that say, now I have these, now I can play this other format. It's, you know, they've increased their player base. And that helps, I think, legacy, all legacy players. You know, that having more people to test with and play with and play against. If I built a legacy deck right now, who would I really play against? You, maybe you can play vintage, but, I mean, you at least have cards to be able to play legacy. I would, Joe would go, I have... A natural order. <laughs> I don't even have one of those. I traded. <laughs> and, and that's that. kind of I have survival of the
4: fittest, you that, know. like... And you know. that's my—that's kind of the point. It's like one yeah. of the reasons I stopped playing Magic, like in 2006, is because I didn't have people play it. And I have all these cards,
2: right? So, and that's what I'm saying. So, making them more available makes doesn't more players available. And, and this is in the middle of when Star City series was coming to my town left and right. Yeah, well, and I, te- I, of course. It and you're really
4: telling available. me that it's not about availability.
2: Well, I'm saying it's no guarantee, but I'm saying it's it's putting the making these cards available to more players makes more players have the cards to be able to play them. I
4: think it's part of it is the community. Like there is a very strong Legacy community in like say Rockville, for example. Uh If I lived in Rockville, I would probably be playing Legacy because I have more opportunity to do so on a regular, consistent basis. But I don't live in Rockville. I live in the middle of nowhere, Harford Zone, (laughs) and. I don't have the opportunity to do that. Heck, I don't even have the opportunity to play Vintage unless I travel up to Philadelphia, which is very awesome, by the way, and they have a tournament this weekend sponsored by... Uh, I should stop. Um, <laughs> Go, anyway, ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. There's vintage
3: me, Tournament yeah. this Saturday in Bluebell, Pennsylvania at Alternate Universe. Near Philadelphia. Near, Near Philadelphia.
2: Philadelphia. So, so... dot uh, alternateu.com.
4: Yes. And like I said about the legacy thing, I mean, we have those legacy vintage things at uh, every Monday at Legends for people interested in breaking into the format. <laughs>
2: Hey everybody, uh, Joey here. I'm um, I'm sitting here driving to work, and I'm thinking about this podcast that you're listening to right now that I've just uh, interrupted. Um, and over the past couple of days, we recorded it on Tuesday morning. Uh, right now it's Wednesday night or Thursday morning, however you want to look at it. It's 1 a.m. on Thursday morning. Over the past couple of days, I've um, I kind of keep realizing that there were points that I, I wanted to make, and I wasn't able to make while we were recording, um, just because I either forgot, or we went off into a tangent, um, things kind of got lost in the shuffle, but I, I just wanted to make maybe a few extra points, um, you know, on my end, and, and, yeah, maybe this is unfair to, to the, uh, the opposite side of the argument, um, but, uh, hey, I, I, you know. It's half my podcast, so I think I have the right to to do this. So um, I'm just going to edit this in here, and then we'll pick right back up where you were in the podcast. Firstly, uh, no other cards in the game, besides the reserved list, um, have any sort of guarantee that they're going to maintain any sort of value. We have thousands and thousands of cards in this game, and, you know, only... Uh, you know, a couple hundred of them have this guarantee that they're never going to be reprinted, and somehow that's supposed to maintain their value. Uh, In Stephen Menendian's article, he even goes to say the average or the median value of cards on the reserved list is 99 cents. So it's not really even maintaining the value of the majority of those cards. It's just, uh, you know, a small percentage of those cards that have this Value, anyway. But uh, aside from that, we have thousands of other cards that are worth plenty of money. I mean, I can think of you know Tarmogoyf, Baneslayer Angel, you, you know cards f- printed recently and cards printed you know a few years ago. Engineered explosives, uh, you know, just off the top of my head, Ravnica Dual Lands, you know, have have some value. Of course, they're not as high as as you know the Power Nine, but Um, For the most part, the majority of our cards have no guarantee that they're going to maintain their value. But people still have no problem buying these cards. Tarmogoyfs are still being sold at $90 each. Uh, Baneslayer Angels are still being sold at, you know, $55, $60. Um, And both of those could very well be reprinted in M11 or in another set uh, coming soon. Who knows? Um, That doesn't really stop anybody. Uh, from, from buying the cards. So to say that you know, these particular cards deserve special treatment is kind of, one, I don't think it's necessary, and two, I don't, I, I don't think that getting rid of the reserve list is necessarily, well, it, by itself, that's not going to affect the values of the cards because it doesn't affect the value of any cards not on the reserve list those cards still hold value and Tarmogoyf could be reprinted as a common tomorrow and sure, people would complain but people are going to complain about anything as I did mention earlier in the episode so uh, to say as your primary argument against the abolishment of the reserved list and or against the reprinting of these cards is uh, value-based which Lloyd, I think, specifically stated uh, at one point that his argument was not value-based. Um, but to say that that is your primary argument, it's kind of... It's, it doesn't work. That, you know, t- t- to quote Marissa Tomei in, uh, in My Cousin Vinny, it doesn't hold water, because there are thousands of cards that can and will be reprinted in the future... Or, or that could be reprinted in the future and, and some of them will that ha- hold value some of which uh, you know if they're reprinted the value will increase um, take a look at meddling mage uh, for example it was at a certain value I'm not really sure what but it wasn't very high and then when it was reprinted it spiked then it wasn't um, you know, used much in standard so it dropped back to its its original value again but Sometimes, actually in most cases, something being reprinted for standard use actually increases in value. And uh, I think, you know, I say standard, but what I mean is something being reprinted and then being playable and thus in demand, that is what increases its value. So, reprinting cards, despite actually increasing supply, Lloyd seems to think that there's no way to prove this, but I think it's pretty obvious that if it's a playable card, it will also increase demand for that card. And uh, we've already seen an increase in demand for the format legacy because it's been made relevant. Printing some of these cards again will again make them relevant. Uh, Whether, you know, I'm not saying they should be reprinted for standard use. I'm not saying that at all. But um, I don't feel like, I still feel like I have not heard a good argument for keeping the reserved list and never reprinting these cards. I I have yet to hear a good argument. I was hoping Lloyd would... Come up with one, and and Lloyd. I know you're listening to this. I'm sorry that I'm saying this, but after after our podcast and after going through editing some of it, I'm not sure that uh, I've heard an argument that sways my opinion whatsoever, or that uh, that that I feel like is a good reason at all. Because the there's only a minority of players that have these cards, so you know, if you go with the majority-minority kind of thing, the majority seems to be uh, more positively affected by just reprinting the cards or, you know, getting rid of the reserve list and allowing Wizards to reprint these cards. And Wizards is also included in that majority because they're not, at the moment, uh, positively affected at all by the secondary market. Um, You know, as far as... They're they're not getting any value out of people buying Black Lotuses from each other or dual Lands from each other. Um, But they would be positively affected if they were to create a set where they were printing these cards again. So um, they fall into that majority, and I think they're a very important part of that majority because if they stop printing Magic cards at all, like Upper Deck did with Versus System, the game falls apart because there's no support for it. Um, sure, I can go dig out my versus system cards and play with my friends, and I have, and that's fine, but there's no new cards coming out. There's no more uh, support for the game, and those cards, the value of those cards has tanked. I mean, cards that were $25, $30 are now a dollar, $5 maybe, if that. Um, so, you know, Wizards of the Coast and their success is of primary importance to our game. And I certainly don't want the same thing to happen to them. I'm not saying that this is something that would... uh, You know, if the reserved list were, were kept, that somehow Wizards would eventually go out of business. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just trying to say that something that positively affects Wizards positively affects all of us. So, you know, I'm not seeing the argument on the other side um, apparently there is an article today uh, by Matt Sperling so uh, I'm going to read that But uh, and hopefully that will present something that I can I can actually understand coming from the other side but at the moment I- I'm not seeing a, a, a relevant argument so anyway I'll let you get back to the podcast um, thanks for listening to this little intrusion
3: but yeah, so, um, so I guess that's about everything. I guess we should hit up some contact info. And sure stuff why like that. not. So uh,
2: as always, you can contact us at yoMTGtaps at gmail.com. Please send us your mailing address if you would like some stickers. Um, leave us a voicemail at 331 MTG Taps. You can follow us on Twitter at yoMTGtaps, and uh, you can follow just me on Twitter at Affinity for Blue. Uh, you can check us out on youtube youtube.com slash yo MtG taps can I read this one
3: yeah become a fan of yo MtG taps on Facebook by visiting www.facebook.com slash pages slash yo mtG taps slash two three seven three eight three four four two eight four two Uh you can also find Joey's blog at Affinity for Islands dot com, and you can find my blog at O-T-H-E-R.
2: no, <laughs> Otherworldly Journey dot
3: You used to call notorious B I G N O T O R I O U S big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I thought was really funny back in the day. <laughs> but, um, so otherworldlyjourney.blogspot.com is my blog. I just posted a, uh, Grixis list, um, that I think is pretty interesting. I'm going to test it out today. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, duh. Oh, yeah. I'm probably going to do some more blog posts here uh, because I've just been wanting to blog more, so I'm going to probably do that. Um, also, I wanted to mention something that I haven't even mentioned to you. Oh, cool. Um, but, but, I mean, we kind of discussed it, but I just wanted to say this on the podcast, is that um, me and Joe are going to try to, because some of you may not know this, me and Joe had a podcast before... Uh, we had um, the internet, I think. Um, oh, God. And, uh, <laughs> oh, God. This sounds um, terrible. and terrible. And we, uh, w- there's at least one tape floating around at my house, I <laughs> Cassette think. Cassette tape, right? Cassette tape. And I think Joe might have one as well. I think that every once in a while um, uh, throughout these podcasts... Uh, we're gonna do some blasts from the past uh, sections where we put segments of these pod uh, of these recordings that we did <laughs> cassette casts or, yeah. cassette casts that we did back in the day. Um, just because you they're hilarious. Question,
4: like, was this from your, when you guys were in high school? No, oh, well, no, well, when he was, was in, in high,
3: high school, school and I was, was in seventh grade, <laughs> and uh, we were we were making recordings good. on tapes of us just like messing around with guitars and like talking about. Off and prank phone calls and stuff like that so uh we we're gonna we I swear to God
2: eventually hopefully. we're gonna
3: dig these tapes up and we're gonna find a way to get at least segments of them onto the podcast probably mostly after the uh, the song at the end of the podcast so this and, is your... and
2: I'll, just now that you mentioned that I'll have something it's not from that long ago but just from a couple of years back some people might have already heard it but I'll, I'm gonna put it on there they'll just have to listen to after the music to hear what it is but uh I don't even know what the hell it is. You'll, you'll know when. I... Uh, also, definitely want to mention the Baltimore Open.
3: That's right. Um, this uh, this Saturday, March thirteenth, uh, the same day as the Bluebell Vintage event. If you're not going to Bluebell, you should come down to the Inner Harbor and um, play in the Baltimore Open. Um, registrations from nine until ten thirty, and it's thirty dollars to enter or twenty five dollars if you pre register. Um, you can pre-register on BaltimoreMTG.com, um, hosted by Gone to Plaid Games, $2,500 in cash being given out to the top 16 finishers. Is
4: it just standard, or are they having a second event like they did last time?
3: They might do a side event, but like... they had,
4: um, I think it was last time they had that standard and extended event.
3: Oh, I don't know much about that, honestly. I don't remember,
4: because that was when the weekend it all get canceled because of all the snow and crap. Right. Yeah.
3: There's no excuse for not playing something this Saturday. That's right, that's right. You can play vintage in Pennsylvania, you can play standard down here, you can probably do some booster drafts at the, uh, at the open, all kinds of stuff. $1,000 for first prize, 400 for second, $150 each for third and fourth, 100 bucks for fifth through eighth place, top eight, you get s- like 70 bucks. You know what I mean? Like right. off your, I mean, above your entry fee. That's Ninth nice. through 16th place get 50 bucks each, so... Mm-hmm. uh some wonderful opportunities to uh, win some cash uh, this weekend, so you should come check it out.
2: Uh, yeah, don't forget to check out uh, Star City Games for those articles that we mentioned if you want to read them. Um, and also, of course, uh, Patrick Chabin's Next Level Magic. Um, keep an eye on Star City Games, and um, I think some information will be forthcoming this week, but March 22nd is the launch date as far as I understand. So yep. Ify. It should be available and ready to ship at that point, he said. So awesome pretty cool Uh, thank you guys for listening as always thanks Lloyd for joining us today yeah thanks Lloyd
1: is my last interview of Worlds here, and we the illustrious Joe. I'll let Joe describe who he is and where he is. Uh,
2: this is Joe from, uh, well, I'm Jalon on MTG Salvation, and uh, I'm a fan of MTG Cast, and I've had the pleasure of uh, of Tom's company for the past two days, so uh, I guess we've had a lot of fun here at Worlds this weekend.
1: And, uh... So we so we stayed in a, a nice hostel last night, and um, it, it had one extra thing and it was missing one thing. That one extra thing was a smell, yeah. and I'm gonna and Joe's gonna tell us what that smell was and then what was missing from our room.
2: Uh, let's see, so the first thing that we noticed was uh, when we walked in is uh, the smell of cat urine. Uh, we didn't see any cats, but there was definitely some cat urine or something that smelled a lot like it. Uh, and then we were there for a few minutes and going through our stuff and happened to notice that there was no garbage can in the room, so we just had a little pile of trash. I guess, uh, I guess that was left for the, the cleaning people to take, but you'd think a garbage can wouldn't be too much to ask.
1: Huh? So Joe, um, as you kind of told me before, you're you know, kinda a little more of a tournament player. We played a few games. I think you won every one. Um, kind of tell us quickly, uh, you were, you're obviously here Saturday, Sunday. Tell us kind of what, what events you did. Um, did you watch World Championship? Did you not? Kind of fill us in.
2: Um, pretty much I, I did a lot of trading. Um, I only played in one side event, which was an eight-man pickup draft uh, because I had a little coupon, which I got from the lower one pre-release. Um, since it was free, I figured I'd try it. It was actually the first time I've ever drafted. Um, even though I've been playing Magic for 12 or 13 years now, I never actually drafted. So for free, I thought, why not try it? Um, didn't do too well, but I had fun, and that was the point. Um, I watched the finals or the semifinals and the finals of the, uh, the individual championships and that's always a lot of fun. The, the two final decks there was a Dragonstorm deck piloted by Pat Chapin from the USA and uh, the finals the winner was uh, Yuri Peleg I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. He was playing a uh, black green rock deck with Doran the siege tower and uh, Garrick Wildspeaker and some elves and Oran Viper. Um, that kind of thing.
1: Any good stories? Oh, we have we seen. We should we should probably get the other Tim and Joe on here too. So this is Tom. I'm interviewing the other uh, two people that I stayed with in the cat urine soaked, garbage less apart uh, hostel that we stayed in. So first we'll go with. I'll let you introduce yourself.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm Tim, but uh, not a member of uh, MTG Cast.
1: What about MTG Salvation? Whatever. MTG Salvation. So I should I should I should stop interviewing you now. Is that what you're saying? Okay.
0: This is how bad my uh, real interview went. Uh. <laughs> So
1: any memorable trades from Worlds this year? <laughs> yeah, kind of a bad memorable one. Well, yeah, tell me the, a bad one, too.
0: I traded uh, Thoughtseize and the uh, Unas Prowler for two uh, Swords of Temptation and the um, Cryptic Command. Though I did definitely improve my deck uh, immediately. Probably could have got a little more for the Thoughtseize. But a major deck better, though. Yeah, definitely. Now, d- now, did you
1: plan some sort of cool side event today?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Two-headed, giant, uh field deck 10th edition tournament, and uh, that didn't go so well because uh, five of our seven rares were uh, uh, mana-related abilities. You know, we had uh, three dual lands, a doubling cube, and a Ray of Dawnbringer, another uh, an elf that produces mana. So uh, we we lost twice uh, in a row and drop. because It was uh, pretty horrible losses.
1: Now which? No, I'll be talking to your two headed partner. Now which deck? What deck did you play today?
0: Um, well, I played a, um, I played a blue white, and he played a uh, red black. Uh, the problem was, I think we didn't really have any mid range creatures. It was all like um, it was all small creatures and like counter, but um you know, from from the steel deck, I didn't have enough counter to make it work, so... I'd counter two or three spells in my hand would be empty. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> I am I'm just feel down now. We better talk to <laughs> And what I said before,
1: the two-header, he doesn't actually have two heads. Well, I'm, I'm... Uh, how,
3: how dirty can we be on that?
1: Uh, <laughs> I can edit whatever you want to say out. And I could probably bleep stuff. Okay, well, all I was going to say was, ladies, this is Joe, I, aka
3: Big Head Joe from uh, the MTG of Salvation forums. I'm a new member. Be nice to me. Um, and uh, if you want to know about those two heads, all three of you can uh, give me a ring. Um, so uh yeah, the the two-headed giant thing was terrible. <laughs> uh now which, now, which deck did you play? Which deck did I play in the Two-Headed Giant? Yeah. Oh, um, well, we we, we we split up. He played a blue uh, blue and white, and I played some uh, black and red. I had about, I think I had 11 things in the deck that cost one mana or less. And I drew, the first game, I drew one of them. And uh, drew my we, we both each drew our second mana of our other color uh, right at the end of the game. So it was lovely. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, it, it was pretty much a disaster. Viridian Joiner, doubling cube. I was... Thinking about some sort of, uh, and we—I don't think we had any. Well, we had the one spell that cost X, the one that puts all those zombies out. But uh, that—but that, yeah. But then, like, yeah, he made me discard it. So <laughs> it was like, oh great. So I just sat there and dropped lands every turn. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, sorry,
1: no, I was just—I I, I, watched—I watched you playing your next a little bit. Nessa had at least two ornithopters in this uh, deck. What were what you doing with Ornithopters? I had fire breathing. I wanted to put it on the ornithopter. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is killer strategy, folks. Right here, right now. (laughs) so now uh we did we just did worlds where are you going back to going back to baltimore to go back to work and then i'm going to new orleans next weekend anyone in
3: new orleans hang out with me it'll be boring
2: no i'm kidding
3: because apparently if what joe told me
1: before was true he sells crack for his his, first career (laughs) you got to make bread somehow but i mean do you really have to sell crack or does it sell itself oh you know it's an open market
3: man you're just offering the crack I'm just—I mean, I just go out there, you know. I just stand there. People are like, "Hey, hey, what you got?" You know, and they—they they know what's up. So it's like, you know, it, it, I, by now I'm—I'm I'm a, I'm a known face in the community, and uh, you know, people just know where to go. They see me. They know that you know, crack Joe, is Joe happening. Equals crack. Joe equals crack. <laughs> I want that on my tombstone. Actually, my tombstone—my favorite—the favorite thing I've ever come up with for my tombstone is, uh, you know, my name born, died, and then it says now available in dead. But uh,
1: I think that would be great. Um, but anyway. Well, my last question, I, it won't be quite as good on the thing, but I, I want to see, we need a demonstration. Was it the rapid snap or the quick snaps? Oh, the quick snap? <laughs> the quick snap? It's like, girl on top of my motherfucking head, girl. Mm, yeah. <laughs> So, so th- th- thank you, Team Baltimore here. Or was it, was it, was it, was it the Baltimoreans? Was that the Baltimoreans? There is no tea in Baltimore. Baltimore, <laughs> Baltimore. So thank you guys. This is Tom leaving Worlds.